Blog Talk Radio. Your 
this whole question in terms of style, uh, one of the things we talk about democratic republic connections, you got to be very, very clear there are two sides of the same coin. Oftentimes we think that they're different and unique. But the reality is it's simply a question in terms of the kind of methodologies they employ in terms of um, oppressing the people in this, in, America, in this nation. So clearly I think it's important that we, we talk a little bit about this philosophical differences and why these differences exist. Now, having said that, Brother Africa, I want you to uh, check this out. Now, comp- now, competition among capitalists differ in both strategic and tactical intent. The prevailing competition is a result of the best methodology that should be utilized to ensure the enrichment of capitalists while creating conditions among the populace ensuring compliance, ultimately culminating in a pliable population that concedes meaningful change in society is indeed impossible, and the only meaningful resolution is to acquiesce. These competing ideologies among capitalists entails cunning and guile, deception and cognitive manipulations to disempower the population, often employing misdirection in pursuit of objectives beneficial to the capitalist class. Architects of the strategic divide reside squarely in the organizational matrix of political organization, but is encapsulated in the strategic framework of both the Democratic and Republican parties. Historically, both parties have aligned themselves with capitalist interests, and when those interests are challenged, both parties rise in defense of the capitalists. During the New Deal, the idea of government providing employment for the masses was frowned upon by the capitalists because of the potential to undermine profits, which resulted in a compromise by both Democrats and Republicans, which validated the exclusion of most Africans from the expanded job market, thus ensuring an unemployed labor pool that served as a counterweight against unbearable wage hikes. Now, understanding the differences in the strategy between the Democrat and Republican Party must be viewed within the prism of the appropriate use of balance. In this regard, the prevailing ideologies of the U.S. are split between the oligarchs, those willing to use propaganda, deceptive economic policy, and populist rhetoric to maintain control of the masses, and autocrats like Trump, whose position reflects a real polity that says power of the powerful is sufficient to maintain control by sheer force. Autocrats do from time to time utilize softer approaches to maintain the domination of the masses, but have no compunction against the use of deadly force to achieve a political objective. Simply stated, the oligarchy, oligarchy strain of capitalism is epitomized in the Democratic Party whereas the autocratic strain of the Republican Party manifests themselves constantly in economic, political, and social policies validating force. This distinction is important because it provides clues as to which ideology among capitalists is the preferred approach at this point in history. Currently, the preferred approach pertaining to capitalist hegemony centers around the utility of the oligarch's approach and the benefits accrued from soft approach or propaganda effectiveness. Now, why do I say this? Recently, an article entitled The Pandora Papers was released after 18 to 24 months of scrutiny by some of the world's leading newspapers. No doubt, the incessant amount of time to release these documents were hampered by intelligence agencies perusing these documents before authorizing release. News officials would probably counter release of information took close to two years because it consisted of 12 million records. Ironically, the Panama Papers, which also disclosed offshore accounts, uh, contents were slightly smaller than the Pandora Papers. So the Pan- Panama Papers came out to 11.5 million files, and the Pandora files came out to 12 million files. But despite the differences, the, Pan- the Panama Papers were released within one month of receiving the documents. Now, information pertaining to tax havens for the wealthy, including 
government officials, military officials, political officials, and billionaires is not new. As I alluded to before, the Panama Papers were filed back in 2016. Repercussions of the leaks did not result in imprisonment for most wealthy lawbreakers, and, and in fact, politicians continue to prosper utilizing questionable investment practices today. In fact, opportunities to hide money or invade taxes for the wealthy has actually increased. In the U.S., the number of tax havens currently stands at six, up from one in Delaware, which started back in 2010 to take off as a center for um, hiding your taxes. If disclosing info about financial illegality does not result in punishment, why another story about concealing wealth by the rich? Propaganda goes, revealing the Pandora Papers is perfect for promoting the notion corporate or wealthy hiding of funds is not an issue in the U.S. According to the Guardian newspaper, not a single U.S. government official was implicated in the document. Culpability was mostly directed at the Russians, South Americans, the Europeans, the Asians, the Middle Easterns, and Africa. With respect to Africa, specifically, we talked about Kenya's president, Uhuru Kenyatta. Now, ironically, you know, both, both with respect to Africa, both Nigeria and Cultivar was mentioned in the document, but specific names were not received in abundance of attention. There is no question U.S. client states are being protected, but in the case of Nigeria's President Buhari, his declaration to auction Nigeria's military services to the U.S. in a war against terror speaks to the implicit destabilization, destabilization effects on African states embraced by too many African leaders under the guise such military support for the U.S. will result in foreign, foreign infrastructure investments, investments that never materializes. This soft approach by U.S. foreign policy is likely to elicit support from oligarchs because it creates a perception that U.S. foreign policy is evolving, when in reality it conceals the parasitic, parasitic relationship that has always existed between Africa and the U.S. specifically and the West generally. My suspicion is the more nefarious objectives of releasing the documents are unacknowledged, but for purposes of elucidating those benefits of soft power preferred by Democrats, we've laying out the benefits of disclosing the document can reveal the impetus or boost provided to oligarchs or Democrats' political methods. This can be demonstrated in three ways. First, obviously, an inference is established by revealing the erroneous information oligarchs abhor corruption. This notion gets reinforced when the document does not list American involvement in tax avoidance. The narrative created suggests the problem of evading taxes is an individual endeavor and not sanctioned by a system. This is despite politicians' refusal to end tax havens. This document makes it easier to forget the very real social issues associated with, with, with not paying taxes by the wealthy. Secondly, exposing wealthy foreign nationals puts pressure on foreign leaders to clamp down on tax cheats. This ensures less wealth for foreign oligarchs which increases the likelihood of the individuals going into American foreign policy. Excuse me. This, this increases the likelihood of these individuals giving into American's foreign policy objectives because it creates the best opportunity for foreign oligarchs to recapture any lost wealth to pay in taxes. An example, if U.S. foreign policy views social or political division in foreign nations key to fulfilling U.S. objectives, oligarchs who lost money realize a divided society is bad for business may go along with fascist policies in an attempt to restore normality. normality. U.S. objectives could be achieved with relatively little monetary expenditure. Lastly, by targeting foreign nationals as corrupt, the level of scrutiny by government officials will increase. This scrutiny may be sufficient to create a chilling effect where taking chances on intricate investments may be avoided. 
If this scenario pans out, it increases more investment opportunities for U.S. capitalists. All this can be achieved without a military or monetary expenditures or political confrontation. So when Democrats feign concern about inequality, racism, or police brutality, just remember, this is merely a strategy, a strategy that conceals the true nature of the capitalist system, a strategy which is incredibly cheap to employ. And I'll close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Haki. Dix, we would like to welcome Brother Moses. Welcome to Africa on the Move. Brother Moses. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. I believe in getting to the root, i.e. radical. Jesus and the Bible propagate the laissez-faire philosophy of early merchants, and there is no getting around, quote, waiting for his return, unquote. Remember, there were no churches until John the Baptist and Jesus started the movement. It is well suited for the ruling class to continue ruling. I'm into liberation theology. Jesus reconciled humans and the God question. You don't reverse correct verdicts. That's why I bear witness that the only God is Jesus and that Mao is his messenger for government. The word is truth, and only the truth can set you free. There is a judgment day coming. There will be a revolution. Repetition is the mother of invention. Moses went to the mountain. Jesus is the mountain. The mountain came to Muhammad. He said, what's love got to do with it? These Christians are oppressing my people, and he wrote the Quran. Only a foolish fool would say there is no God. Mao was the Fujo man who moved the mountain. The people of China stormed heaven in 1949. I hope I'm helping someone see the light. The rest of you are already enlightened, so I'm not trying to preach to the choir, but to those lost people who need to know the direction of world history. And I I think that the battle is still to unite the many to defeat the few. The lives of the few cannot hold up and sustain them in their interest forever. And I'll close with that. Thank you. And we thank you, Brother Moses. From Brother Moses, we're going to our sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, welcome to Africa on the Move. Thank you so much, Brother Africa. I'm delighted to be here. Good evening to the fellow panelists and to our listening audience. Um, I want to thank Brother Hakeem for uh, clarifying uh, the difference between an autocrat and the rest. But dictators are... Uh, Fascism is a real reality, very distinct uh, unto itself. And uh, Bihari in Nigeria, Modi in India, uh, Donald Trump in the United States, uh, uh, Bolsonaro in Brazil are just a few. So this is a real crisis that we're facing. And, yes, we need a change uh, in the world And in this country where we stand right now, we're in the midst of a political, economic, and cultural crisis. Thank you so much for allowing me to participate in this evening's show. And um, united we stand, and revolution is the answer. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. You're listening to Africa on the Moon. I'm Brother Africa. We're going to be in the seat, and we're going to take the heat tonight. Athena Night is part three. Free feed the war machine by any means necessary. But before we get to our theme tonight, what we're going to do coming up, 
wants to come back from a revolutionary culture break, we're going to have a discussion on what's going on in your world and the community, and we'd like to invite you to join us by calling 323-679-0841. So when we come back, we will have that discussion. This is Africa on the Move.
That's right. We were fighting upon our arrival and still fighting for our survival. Don't you be a Buffalo soldier. We welcome you back to Africa on the Move on the 17th day of October 2021. This is part three of Feed the Wall Machine by Any Means Necessary. Right now, we're going to our transition segment of what's going on in your world and the community. That's right. We want to know what's going on in your world and community. If you'd like to participate during the segment, feel free to call in at 323-679-0841. Please hit 1, and we'll acknowledge your last four numbers. Please hit 1. So right now, we're going back to our political panelists and analysts. There are so many things going on in the African world and the world in general. We're going to start off with you, Brother Haki. Talk to our listening audience. What's going on in your world and the community, Brother Haki? Well, Brother Africa, you know we talk a great deal about fascism, and I'm certainly hoping at this point of the game uh, people are becoming uh, much more um, familiar with this, this whole concept of fascism and particularly you know, how it works. But certainly one of the cases that sort of uh, really uh, espouse what it means to have uh, fascism in society is a case of Stephen Don, uh, Don, um, Donziger. It's a very, very interesting case, so I thought I'd revisit that case. I think it's important that people understand the, the very real implications when we talk about fascism and, and, and all that it entails. But anyway, in any event, Brother Africa, check this out. Now, the abuses of fascism in U.S. society abounds with examples too numerous to enumerate, from John Gotti being denied his choice of being represented by his own lawyer to an African paraplegic snatched out of his vehicle for a driving infraction. The abuses continue to escalate while the people's representatives largely remain quiet to human rights violations as they unfold. An argument could be made, the examples previously stated are insignificant in that the magnitude of the abuse of power does not rise to the level of broadly impacting society. This sentiment belies the historical roots of fascism and cannot be taken seriously, but for sake of clarity, there is one case that does have broad implications for humanity. The fascist implications of this case not only has relevance for society, but in the process reveals the level of corruption and the undermining of human rights against those who threaten the powerful's interest. The case I'm referring to is Stephen Donzinger. Don, Stephen Donzinger, a human rights attorney, represented indigenous people of Ecuador against Chevron for destruction of the rainforest in pursuit of oil and the destruction of their livelihoods that depends on the rainforest. Indigenous claims were more than justified given scientists believe about 200,000 acres of rainforest are destroyed each day. Don Zinger took the case in 2011. Uh, he prevailed winning a civil judgment of $9.5 billion against Chevron. And originally, it was $18 billion. Subsequent trial, they reduced that amount to $9.5 billion. Ironically, Chevron agreed trying the case in Ecuador was appropriate under the misguided belief that they had sufficient enough support among the military who resided on their payroll. Having taken a calculated risk in losing, Chevron employed a counteroffensive like it did in Nigeria. Unlike Ecuador, in Nigeria, Chevron sought to bring a civil suit against impoverished villagers who protested Chevron's involvement in the shooting of protesters. Chevron, in turn, sought $500,000 from protesters in court rather than acknowledged environmental harm to both the people and the land, a uh, land mass in equally uh, well over 45,000 acres. Now, the counteroffensive in Ecuador was not launched against the Ecuadorian indigenous community per se, even though Chevron packed up and left. The counteroffensive will be directed at the lead attorney, 
Stephen Donzinger. Chevron have no intentions of honoring the legal judgment put into motion a plan, according to consultants for the state, to demonize to demonize Donzinger, alleging Donzinger rigged the outcome of the trial through racketeering, extortion, wire fraud, money laundering, and witness tampering. Chevron laid the framework from which fabricated legal charges could then be implemented against a man of questionable character. This case, this case would be prosecuted not under the supervision of the Department of Justice, but would be constructed unilaterally by Judge Lewis Kaplan. Kaplan, a large Chevron investor, would orchestrate a two-tier attack against Stephen Donzinger by going after Donzinger both civilly and criminally. Critical to Kaplan's strategy was to employ two legal firms close to Chevron. The first law firm, Gibson, Don, and Crutcher, was directed to pursue civil litigation against Donzinger, while the second law firm, Seward and Kissel, criminal charges against Donzinger. Keep in mind, American jurisprudence frowns upon outside influences exerting too much influence over judicial affairs, and the fact Chevron validated the independence of the courts should be a concern to political leaders. The masses of people should be concerned as it pertains to the separation of powers in the Constitution. Because Chevron was able to establish its own court with its own mandates outside of the supervision of the established Department of Justice means justice as a concept is not determined by a system of laws, but from dictates of wealth. This is the very definition of fascism. Now, Kaplan's ominous strategy did not end with delegating law firms to play the role of a hitman. He also appointed Judge Loretta Preska, uh, the presiding judge over the criminal aspect of the case. Judge Preska, a woman devoid of any human compassion, was appointed to the judicial bench by George W. Bush. As an attorney for Cahill Law Firm, Cahill Law Firm, she established herself as a class warrior advocating unlimited power for the powerful. Among her efforts to advance the power of the powerful were Citizens United Ruling and Dodge Franks. Now, the Citizens United uh, Ruling defined corporations as people effectively empowering corporations to corrupt the political system with unlimited funding of politics. The Dodd-Frank Act attempted to rein in speculative behavior of financial institutions and banks. By Judge Prescott weakening Dodd-Frank, she opened the floodgates to questionable or unethical investments by financial institutions and banks, often resulting in large economic harm to the U.S. economy. In choosing Judge Prescott, Kaplan made a wise appointment. Undeterred by the U.N. combination of what was perceived as extrajudicial processes or a questionable legal proceeding not sanctioned by established law, did not deter Judge Prescott in the slightest. Letters sent to Judge Prescott by Congresspersons Cory Bush, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and Jamal Bowman, admonishing her not to criminalize human rights work, was all for naught. Judge Prescott's indifference to fundamental human rights as a home as it is appears to reflect the thinking of most elected representatives. One representative in particular who was obligated to address the injustice he visited upon Stephen Donzinger is Gerald Nadler, who is the judicial chair of the House of Representatives. He has steadfastly remained silent throughout the kangaroo court proceedings against Donzinger. As a result, Judge Loretta Prescott sentenced Donzinger to six months in prison for criminal contempt against Chevron. After two years of house arrest and suspension of Donzinger's law license in New York, the forces of fascism have revealed themselves to be capable of pursuing and obtaining numerous control of governmental functions. 
If fascist forces can railroad an attorney, what chances does the rank and file have in secure justice in the United States? If the rights of a human rights lawyer cannot be, can be circumvented, how difficult would it be for the wealthy to railroad the poor? This case is problematic on many levels. Veterans' case serve as a wake-up call to the ever-expanding fascist ethos sweeping the land. And I'll close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Thank you, Brother Haki. We now will go to, go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, tell us what's going on in your world and the community. Brother Moses, the mic is yours. Well, we, we see up in Chicago the police are, are demanding their rights and their freedom, uh, left and form, right in essence, um, uh, in terms of what's going on. Uh, um, they, they don't want to take the COVID vaccine, and they're demanding their freedom. Um, this, you know, this, this is uh, sentiments, sentiments, and um, and um, aspirations of of uh, unconscious people. And um, we need to put science in command of this situation and and uh, and uh, mandate vaccines and mask wearing, et cetera. Uh, in Virginia, they have a race, and uh, this this is the issue in Virginia. Uh, and hopefully, the people will see their see through what's going on, and and uh, and not bring in Youngkin. Uh, there's there's uh, Donald Trump is is uh, is positioning himself and and getting people in place for his comeback. And uh, this, we should be weary of that and uh, conscious and and uh, encounter that move. Uh, um, I don't. I don't know. No. Um, let me leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, brother, for your. What's going on in your world and the community? And now we'll make a transition to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, what's going on in your world and the community? Um, the similar thing as Brother Robert said, we're in a crisis over this pandemic. And I concur with the comments of uh, uh, Brother Hakeem and uh, uh, Brother Robert in reference to the police. What's happening right now is that uh, there was a big cover-up over this uh, this, this uh, virus, but it is killing people around the world. And uh, it wasn't something China was working on in a vacuum. The big pharma in the United Kingdom and the United States and others and John Hopkins University were investing in research. And this germ warfare, supposedly there was a moratorium against this type of research. So it couldn't be done in this country, couldn't be done in European countries. So they've done it in Wunan. But it doesn't matter. The bottom line is right now science has to be in command. And there's been so much injustice and manipulation of human life through pharma that people are afraid to take the vaccine and are at risk. Uh, but 
if we do not begin to vaccinate people everywhere, we are in we're in, we're going to suffer even more. We've seen uh, the virus now is on, in in these quote red states, Florida, uh, 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 Utah, places like that. They're having to find other states to ship their patients to, and they now cannot do certain surgeries, uh, whether you need a cancer surgery, life-saving surgery, because your doctor may not be vaccinated because he thinks it's a matter of freedom, so your life doesn't matter. And the police are public servants. Now, they threatened to quit, let them quit. But the important thing that Brother Robert did was talk about Donald Trump and the fact that the these fascists are lining up. You've seen them pass laws in 18 states to suppress voters' rights, women's rights. Uh, they're trying to suppress, can imagine. So we don't want to repeat what we did in 2016, where people are out voting for different candidates. In the state of Virginia, where he may be the least of two evils, but he is not a fascist. Uh, uh, he's not a youngkin, so you, I would suggest anyone within our listening uh, range and beyond to please vote for McCullen in Virginia. Stand united. The electorate can have some power in their immediate life by voting for the person that uh, will do the least harm. In 2016, we saw people voting for uh, the progressive from New England, uh, Bonnie, uh, Bernie Sanders, and we saw them voting for this and that one. Hillary lost. This country suffered irreparably. And we've seen what race means. We've seen people like Pastel. He's a, you know, he's of Indian origin, but in his mind, he's a white man. And he's a big supporter. He works for Trump and is a supporter of Trump. So remember, our country is in a political, economic, and cultural crisis. So this, the electorate has to stand together. And right now, this is it. Virginia is the first to step out. Next year, many states will be holding elections. So if we can sway the tides and make sure that McCullen gets in. We we stand a chance at holding uh, some of the states back and getting rid of people like Governor Abbott and Santos in Florida and getting rid of these outrageous people where science is not in command. In 1918, there was a world pandemic. People learned one thing. Don't sit on the street, wash your hands, and wear masks. And this is a political debate in the 21st century. We see how capitalism and the, and the lowering of the educational standards in the United States have impacted our culture. This is not the 60s or 50s where the U.S. was number one or number two in world literacy. We're way down the ranks in the double digits. So people all have an opinion, all have rights. They're just uninformed and uneducated. So with that in mind, I would urge everyone to try to vote for McCullen in Virginia and to uh, stand up for workers' rights.
and join a union if there's one available wherever you work, including the NFL. Form your own union if there's not one. Thank you so much, Brother Africa. That's that's my summary of the week. And we are struggling, as Brother Akeem said, to save Mother Earth. These indigenous people came to town this week from this country and stood up for Mother Earth and their rights. So these pipelines, uh, all of this is going to destroy the earth. It's going to take away. If we think the forest fires and the floods are bad now, We'll be looking back at 2021, talking about what a great summer it was. If we don't stop now, the few are not the most educated. They're not the most informed. They're just wealthy. And millions and billions of us believe that we can be them one day. But obviously history has taught us that uh, the rich are the few and the workers are the many. So workers unite and change the world and the quality of life. Save Mother Earth Thank and you. save ourselves. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. For those who have just joined Africa on the Move, we're discussing what's going on in your world and community. If you have any comments that you'd like to make and share with us what's going on in your world and community, please do so by calling in 323 Six seven nine zero eight four one. Before I come back to my political panelists and analysts, uh, there have been a patient caller. I've been waiting for a while. See if that caller may have a comment or a question you'd like to raise. We can bring in the caller. The last four numbers are six three zero eight. Caller six three zero eight. Do you have any comments or a question you'd like to raise? Caller six three zero eight. Six three zero eight. Going once, going twice. Okay, we gave our caller a chance to make a comment. I guess they're just listening right now. But as we discuss what's going on now, we're in community. Uh, panelists, I'd like to just raise a couple issues with y'all. One of the things I keep hearing people talk about is electoral politics um, in the United States. Now, recently um, there was a discussion uh, on on YouTube around this question of the present president and his attitude towards African people. And one of the things that were mentioned, and for some reason or other, the press and other African leaders did not call him to the call him to the table was that they stated that when he won the election uh, a month later, he made a statement speaking to Arab Shopners, Congressional Black Caucus, and other so-called so-called African leadership in the U.S., where he stated that he didn't necessarily see the major threat to U.S. Um, future of African people, but more so that he see a bigger threat of European people inside America becoming a minority in the year 2040. He saw that more of a bigger concern for for the future of America. Now, given the fact that he made a kind of statement in front of the African audience, the African leadership, what can you conclude from that, Brother Aki? His position is he thinks it can become a serious problem for America if and when the Europeans here become the minority. What do you take from that statement, Brother Aki? (laughs) Well, you know, one thing, you know, I got to say, uh, 
Joe Biden, you know, is who he is. You know, recently his son made a statement in which was very, very derogatory toward African people. He used the N-word in terms of his describing African people. So clearly, you know, uh, Joe Biden's influence as a, as a father uh, did resonate with his son. So clearly, let's get that, get that out of the way, first and foremost. The second thing, Brother After, I think more importantly to your point, I think one of, one of the things to say is, is that the interest of African people is not an interest at all. And that's, that's essentially what he was saying. And so when you, so when you, um, so when you uh, compare uh, the, uh, prepare, when you compare a situation conceivably where the white population is going to be 50-50 with, with, with the population of people of color in America, to see that as a, as a primary threat means that you, what you're going to do is attempt to preserve that a situation in which that doesn't become a reality. And the question is, now, how do you preserve the, the, the status quo to prevent uh, the, the kind of uh, uh, situation where you have a, a 50-50 split in terms of ethnicity in America? What do you do in terms of achieving that end? Well, clearly, one of the first things you have to do, you have to make sure that the African grievances become non-grievances. In other words, those things that adversely impact on African lives, whether they are the infant mortality rates, whether you talk about mass incarceration, police brutality, a poor educational system, or whatever it is, those things as those things will actually uh, we can anticipate those things will actually proliferate. Those things get worse and worse as they negatively impact the lives of African people. Because in order for to in order to prevent that fifty fifty split in terms of ethnicity, if you can achieve that end, and what certainly it's going to contribute to a lower a lessening in terms of African birth rates, which means that. Uh, 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 which means that the, the, the probability of 50-50 split becomes less less prominent. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's that that it, it, inevitably it doesn't mean that it's going to totally prevent that 50-50 split, because you got a large uh, you got a large Latin population who's growing uh, exponentially in terms of its, its 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 birth rate. You also have a large Asian population that's unprecedented in terms of its growth. So even if they manage to curtail the growth of African people in the society. Certainly, when it comes to other people of color in American society, their numbers won't necessarily be impacted by U.S. foreign policy, which which is which is geared toward specifically undermining the birth count, you know, of African people in the society. So clearly, you know, when 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 Biden said those kind of things, I think you got to take him for what he is. I mean, he's he's a concept, he's he's the uh, he's the uh, quintessential politician. He is who he is, and people like to believe that Joe, that that Biden gives a damn about the, the suffering African people, but he doesn't. Uh, his, 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 his voting practices are very clear on that point. So when he talks about his relationship with arch conservatives or racists, they're not even conservatives, they're racists. When he talks about his relationship with arch racists in the Deep South, then he speaks values in terms of his willingness in terms of working with them to achieve an objective. Now, clearly, when we talk about these arch conservatives, clearly their agenda is anti-black. And because their agenda is anti-black or anti-African, then clearly... Uh, for Biden to, to join in on on that on that on that on that position means that those things or those policies that adversely impact African people, he would support. And I think he's been very very clear on that point. So I don't get why people think that's the difference between him and Donald Trump. In fact, Trump was just stupid. He was just he's not very bright. So you know he was he would say things which just a bit more brazen about you know his racism. Uh, Biden has at least been he's clever enough to realize that you know that he's got to be much more subtle in terms of his racism. But clearly when you look at his policies in terms of those things, that those situations or those institutions in society that adversely impact uh, African lives, 
clearly when you look at those institutions, Biden is not doing anything to, to reform those institutions. So clearly, you know, what he's saying is, is, is you know, African interests to him are not really interests at all. And we got to be very clear on that point. Thank you, Brother Haki. We can go to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, we were just talking about recently was one of the discussions that's going on throughout our world was a discussion around the statement that Joe Biden made about one month after he won the election, speaking to an African audience and leadership that he didn't concern himself too much of Africans being a major threat to U.S. interests, but what he saw as the most important threat to uh, the way I've been in the U.S. is that the Europeans here will become in the position of minority. They'll be in the position of minority, and he thought that was a bigger concern. How do you view such a statement in terms of a president saying that to, Af- to the African community? What do you take from this statement, Brother Anthony? Uh, I think he... Uh, uh, as Haki indicated, he has little regard for the uh, for the uh, African community at all. And uh, I think the reason why people are, con- are are confused on this issue is that his uh, that he has an African uh, as a, a running mate. Uh, as uh, vice president, and I think, and and I think this confuses some people as to where Biden stands on, on uh, uh, these these uh, of the racism, and um, you know, and sometimes we, when you have an African in that high of a political position. People get confused. Uh, they can't, uh, you know, uh, you, uh, you know, um, uh, they don't tend to take as critical a look at the policies of the administration. And, um, you know, and uh, I concur with uh, Brother Haki that Biden in a lot of ways is uh, is similar to Donald Trump. It's just that his style is a little more diplomatic. But uh, at the end of the day, it's the, you know, it's the same game being run on us, but in a much more subtle uh, uh, fashion. And the fact that uh, that someone who, who look uh, who, who who some people that look like us are carrying out this policy, I think, confuses people. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Brother Moses, your response, Brother Moses. Thank you, thank you. Uh, I would like to know um, exactly when, where, and uh, under what circumstances and what exactly was said. Um, I'm not sh- I, I, I would like to quote uh, exactly what he said. Uh, but anyway, I, I recognize that, that anybody in, in America who is not a revolutionary at this point is going to be a racist. I mean, that's that's just the nature of the system and the and the problems we face and the solution that is necessary. And so, so I so I don't have no doubt that that Biden Biden has racism within him, uh, and 
just like Obama. Uh, uh, but uh, I would like to know exactly under what circumstances, what was said, and what exactly what was said. Uh, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. To my brother Moses, what's your technical response? I will say to you, if you go on and Google Biden made statements about concerns of whites becoming more than U.S., you can get all kinds of responses and articles on that. And to anybody else who would like to have that, I don't have that particular detail available right now, but it's all online where you can find it. So uh, that would be my response to you right now. And what I would do is now go to Sister Eleanor. Stella, what do we make? What what do you make of that particular response to the African community, Sister um, Eleanor? I uh, I would also um, I'm going to have to look online as Brother Robert because one thing for sure, Brother Africa, we saw in the 2020 election that uh, the largest turnout for any presidential election in recent history. And there are clearly people who see a strong distinction between the fascist, racist Donald Trump and Biden. A clear distinction. And as Brother Robert said, one thing all of us in this country are, are racist. He's the rank and file. They have us African Americans uh, against each other. So, uh, you know, uh, I recently uh, knew two women, one from Guatemala, one born in Hong Kong, and they were both hurt, Brother Africa. I'm going to give you a little tissue, a little anecdotal information similar to the comments on the Biden uh, statement. And they were in the D.C. Superior Court. And the uh, opposing attorney referred to both of them as women of color. They asked me, who is she talking about, you? They thought she was talking about me. And I said, no, us. And they said, we're white. And I looked at both of them. One is a woman that is a yellow woman. And Guatemalan, unless she's indigenous, uh, she's, uh, I think the word is mestizo, and I think they're African indigenous and European. So there is a real issue of race, not only in the United States, but in the Americas. And it's an unfortunate situation. And as I said earlier, the United States is in the midst of a cultural, political, and economic struggle. We saw this with the nursing homes. one every three days, someone died in San Quentin, but more were dying in nursing homes, and a lot of that had to do with the workers being underpaid, but the workers and what their goals were in the United States, and suddenly uh, finding themselves amongst elders, where maybe in another uh, national venue, elders would be cared for by relatives or community. So. We see, uh, I see many complex changes in the United States, and it's uh, rank and file, it's working people. And unfortunately, a race plays a big role in that. And sometimes I am amazed at how people perceive 
of former enslaved people and the descendants of those people. And we've heard comments from world leaders talking about the impact, the negative impact that African Americans have on the United States. Well, clearly that's not true. Everything that was built here, I think before 1965, we got some help from the Chinese on the railroad and some other things uh, were built by black and indigenous hands because indigenous people were also enslaved. But, you know, our history is so racist in this country, remember? Black people also enslaved black people. So it's a very complex issue. And as I said, it's like the issue of voting in Virginia in a couple of weeks is happening right now. Vote for McCullough. I'm sure you can find many issues on him uh, concerning education and those things. You can take these little sound bites because this new media age, this new uh, information age, uh, it can give so much misinformation and uh, misguide people, and it's intended to polarize us and make people think that Donald Trump and Joe Biden are the same. But as unfortunate as it is, Brother Lee, Brother Africa, they are miles apart. And that may be a sad commentary for our country, but it is a reality. That's why so many millions of people voted for Donald Trump. Now, we know white women voted for Donald Trump, but who were those others? Think about that. And, uh, you know, we have the uh, diversity lottery that's supposed to bring our brothers and sisters from a book broad and unite them with us. But we're in a complex cultural situation. Nobody in Africa is calling themselves black. They call themselves Igbo, Fulani, Yoruba, Hausa. Uh, Sister Eleanor, let me stop you for a second. And I'd like to challenge some of your um, premise. Number one, I would differ with you and I would argue with you. And I think history would support me when you talk about this question of everybody in the United States has been, been racist. That's not possible. It's not possible for the fundamental reason, for the fundamental reason, everyone in the United States do not have power. To be racist, we talk about one, I'm speaking in the context of a group phenomenon, and two, more importantly, I'm speaking in the context that one must have power that they can implement to impose on another group of people. African people is not in that position to do that. That's number one. Number two, when you raise the issues of these politicians, one fundamental question I raise for you and anyone else who take a position that there are differences among these politicians and these political parties. Do these political parties have different interests as it relates to the overall interests of the U.S. government? Yes or no? And if you come to answer that question, you'll find out fundamentally there are no difference between these politicians. And this is where we have to move past to get forward or this, 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 this Less of a two evil, and these these politicians have the same interests. That's that's it's a form of genocide to continue to not to use history and look at history as a tool to move our people forward. Continue to make the mistakes. We are here to challenge the narratives and speak truth to power and be honest and use our history. So now, unless one can come to show someone fundamentally 
there is a fundamentally difference between any of these politicians, then your premise doesn't hold water from my perspective of understanding. So I would just say I'm, I, I bear to differ in terms of your premise on those two points. What I would do right now, we will continue discussion, and we'd like for those well, who are listening to chime yeah. in on these discussion more, but I'll give you a chance to come back, Sister Eleanor. But I had to raise the issue because one of the things that Africa on the move does is challenge the narratives. And we don't mind differences of opinion, but these opinions we hope to be more based upon the objective material history and realities of our people and our conditions. So through struggle, changes will come, and this is what we're trying to do. And we welcome you for giving your perspective. So we'll come back right now. We'll take a quick station break. Well, I just to move. Say we will continue the discussion on what's going on in your world and the community. We'll be right back. Passport Rev. Malcolm on Twitter featuring Napoleon the legend. Rock the Bell Radio. Theorists. What if my had Twitter and all that civil rights talk, man, I wouldn't want to hear it. This integration been disintegrating. Better off in our own ghettos with our own situation. His last speech got him assassinated. Black business was booming. It wasn't just a consumer. Controlling our narrative. We have more marriages. And see what the damage did. They ain't that bad a bitch. And welfare did it's way worse than the slavery. I'll never be an agent. I don't care what they pay me. Seem like Nip had the same old story. If we pay a black hater, tell a different allegory. Like Pearl Harbor and 9-11 was the mystery. Supremacy will go the extent to keep their history alive. All I'm saying, if these leaders was alive, who be on the internet trying to divide? And use a hotel hustler, trying to fear people of that low vibe structure. Agree to disagree, and we ain't got to tear our own down. Argue in silence, or forever be our own down. All I want to say is that we're giving it away. Soul ain't for sale, and the devil is a fake. Argue with the silence, but don't let it steal our faith. Hide behind doors, but don't ever show our face. Cause if my hat's with her, Malcolm hat's with her. It be our own people do the trolling. She be on ignorance and do the scolding. Where we going? Cause if my hat's with her, then Malcolm hat's with her. It be our own people do the trolling. She be on ignorance and do the scolding. Where we going? Sometimes the key to life you looking for be right in front of you Tried to show my man hidden colors, he said nothing new I said, what if we been lied to, most of our freaking lives Henry are coming tonight, and you ain't speaking right Your arrogance precedes you What if your faith did? I spoke to God on Wednesday, he said most of it's basic Million dollar mindset to be flying, stay hungry Hieroglyphic writing on walls you couldn't take from me A man lay dead in the street today I must have hung my head and landed in 1940 or something, I swear. And all I have is love and joy to give. I need to spread my wings. I need to fly away. I want to get high today. Who 
got five on my little bundle of temporary Man, I wanna live long enough to be legendary Your statistics said by now that I'm gonna be dead and buried But when I heard your voice, it seems as if we met already And I'm march for our rights, that civil, the same purpose Two different tribes and we fighting the same person Could it be that our eyes was deceiving us? We had to have faith when nobody believed in us Cosmic companionship sustained me after my husband was assassinated and gave me the strength to make my contribution to carrying forward his unfinished work. A man laid dead in the street today. I must have bumped my head and landed in 1940 or something, I swear. And all I have is love and joy to give. I need to spread my wings. I need to fly away. We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Move before we went to our station break. We were talking about challenging various narratives. We will get our sister Eleanor a chance to speak to this. But before we do this, we have a caller on the line who, may have, who has a question or comment. We would like to take this caller. They've been waiting patiently. Uh, caller, we'll come to you with your last four numbers, 0673-0673. Welcome to Africa on the Move. Your comment question, please. I'm glad you, uh, in a respectful manner, challenged your sister. And in a respectful manner, because just like in court, if you don't object, it goes in a record as what you said holds, holds weight. And if the sister has said, um, many of us have certain prejudices, I could buy that. But racism, racism had to deal with power. That's the key word. And so everybody can't be racist because everybody don't have power. The whole lot of things that were saying on this program that should have been challenged. Somebody said everybody should be vaccinated, but I'll talk about that later on, right? Some things should be challenged. But when you don't challenge stuff, right, it goes in the book as being a fact and that you agree with it, right? And another point you be made, too, and Brother of Africa brought that up, too. You got differences between Republicans and Democrats, but the differences don't make a difference. It's what they have in common they're sticking us. I mean, they all both parties, Republican and Democrats, are working for big business, and and, and they're capitalists. So I don't care if they got a, a, a hundred differences. It's what they have in common that's what's sticking us, and that's the part people seem to miss. But anytime somebody says something on the program, and I don't think nobody should be offended, even me, if I said something that need to be checked, it need to be checked because when stuff's not checked, it goes in the book as what that person says a fact, and everybody agree with it. Everybody don't agree, so I think also the sisters should have a have an opportunity to explain her position further. But I also think that when things are said and you in your heart believe it should be challenged, I think it should be challenged. And I should be. I think it should be done respectfully. And I think brother brother of Africa's challenge was a worthy one, and I, and I think he did it in a respectful manner. So that's all I had to say. And I'll continue to listen to the program. Thank you, brother, for your comment. And before we go to another caller, we're going to bring Sister Eleanor back to let her respond to what, may has been, what has been said for the past couple of minutes. Sister Eleanor, we'll let you come back and respond to at least my attempt to address the narrative that you earlier articulated. Sister Eleanor, the mic is yours. 
Oh, thank you, Brother Africa, and thank you for the feedback. And, yes, perhaps I should have not used the word racist, but we're all prejudiced. We're indoctrinated and brainwashed. However, as far as the Republican and the Democratic Party go, I see no differences in them. Their objectives and goals are the same. So the issue is in differences in the party. What I was speaking to was the, the reality that we as a nation elected a fascist, a racist fascist to public office, Donald J. Trump. And uh, I have also talked about the fact that fascism seems to be on the rise again in the world. The world saw it before in the 1930s with the Hitlers and the Mussolinis and the Francos. But uh, thank you, Brother Africa, and the caller, because uh, the bottom line is the prejudice that we as uh, former uh, enslaved people experience in our day-to-day life we may not be experiencing it directly from Joe Biden or Jeff Bezos, but he certainly had it. Uh, he was the one that undermined the union in Bismarck, Alabama. So, and we have to be able to distinguish the differences at this critical time in world history and in our country's history. This is an unusual time. Between 1900 and 1920 in this country, for example, 15 million whites came here. So maybe that's why they call this a nation of immigrants, because uh, North and South America, all the nations are nations of immigrants. Because we, the French, the Portuguese, the Dutch, the English, and most let's not leave out the star of the show, the Spaniards killed the indigenous people and took their land. And we emulated, we were, the Europeans, uh, uh, I'm not, Europeans were living under, uh, uh, had kings and queens. They hadn't even learned or experienced democracy. Clearly some of those things were learned from the people who lived here and and live together in harmony between the two continents as well as trading uh, with Africans, as is uh, pointed out in James Van Sternemer's uh, They Came Before Columbus. So my point was that right now we are facing a racial crisis. When you have a woman born in Hong Kong and one born in Guatemala, and neither one of them have any European blood calling themselves white in America. Something's wrong, Brother Africa. We're something, when did people, you know, the Europeans weren't, they fought amongst themselves, but then they colonialized the people of color. And that includes the yellow Asian, the brown, the Africans, and the red man. It was a holocaust for the latter, too. 
So, um, you know, maybe it was an overstatement to say racist. If you think only people in power can be racist, then how do we define the person who commits housing discrimination when they're in charge of a company that oversees 8,000 units in a city of a half a million? And they are a person of African origin, and they discriminate against African people. What do we call people like that? Prejudice? Well, I'll use that term. I, I call them What do them we confused. call President Obama? What do you call them? A confused African. A confused, a good brother African. Okay. But their harm is irreparable in the suffering and the lack of uh, housing opportunities they allow other people. And when you're in the voting booth and someone looks at you and says, oh, you got, you were supposed to receive a mail-in ballot and you're here to vote. Today is the last day to send in your ballot to vote. And if you, if you don't vote and your mail-in ballot isn't received, you may not be able to vote at all. And they make your ballot a provisional ballot, which will not be counted unless there's a tie in that election. What do you call those people? Are they also confused, Brother Africa, when they suggest uh, to you yes, that you yes, may be one yes, of the voter fraud? Yes, okay. they are, but Sister well, Eleanor, but for the sake of time, we have plenty of time Thank to you, come Mother back Africa. and deal with this for future shows. So let's be look curious for others who's on the board been doing patiently. Okay? Thank you very oh, much, thank Sister you. Eleanor. Thank you, Brother And let's go back to see if Anthony has something to say. Brother Anthony, you've been listening for a while. Anything you want to add to what has been stated, Brother Anthony? Yes. I think, uh, I think, uh, I think what the problem is that, well, there's several issues. One, our historical memories are short. And uh, people, a lot of Africans forget that the Democratic Party was the party of the slavocracy. And that, uh, and that a lot of the, uh, uh, the, um, uh, the Jim Crow legislation that existed in the U.S. were 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 passed by Democratic legislatures. That part often forgotten in our history, and uh, and also uh, and also both. Um, in addition, I would add that we're in a in a nation class struggle. In other words, which makes our, which complicates our struggle because there are Africans that look out for their class interests uh, as opposed to uh, and not just their uh, their national or ethnic interests, and the same with other ethnic groups. Uh, you know that uh, the 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 different classes among uh, economic classes among uh, uh, among the various ethnic groups that exist inside the U.S. and uh, the masses are part of the working class, but you have a small sector that uh, that exploit. Uh, 
members of their own ethnic groups in order in order to uh in order to make personal gains so i uh uh not to belabor the point but i wanted to add those, add those points in there the fact that uh that we're involved in a nation class struggle and not just uh we're not just uh, oppressed because of our nationality but because of our, our relationship out of to, to the productive process in this society. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And moving on to another aspect of so what's going on out with our community narratives that are being floated out in floated in the mass media. Panelists, analysts, and those who are listening, we would like to get your feedback on this 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 narrative that has been floating in um mass media, which is they recently took a poll and they found out that the higher level of one's education seemed to correlate with people being in opposition to taking the shots. That is to say, the more education one has, seem like the ones with the so-called quote-unquote higher education, they view themselves as not being pro-shot or pro-vaccination. And they also made another um, interesting um, analysis. The that analysis is that a large segment of the medical uh, profession, doctors themselves, are not taking these shots. Now, what can we conclude from those those uh, narratives or those phenomena? I start off and ask Brother Haki to take, uh, take a stab and leave us lead us on this particular discussion. Here we have professionals, doctors themselves refusing to take the shots, and they found out there's a high correlation between those who have a high degree, quote-unquote, education, refuse to take a shot versus those who have a lesser degree of so-called education. So from those two narratives that are being floating around in the media, brother, high key, what can we take from that? You know, Brother Africa, I'm so tired. I'm just... Candid, I'm just tired of even talking about this because the bottom line, information is out there. And if people want to avail themselves of the information, they can do so, and they'll find out precisely why. And when we talk about the importance of science, there's so much science that invalidates these, these vaccines, it's not funny. So if we want to know the truth about the vaccines, all we have to do is a little research. It's not, it's not very, very difficult. All we have to, listen, for, for how, many, how many weeks I've been talking about flu and clevocytes? How many people have actually taken the time to figure out what the hell I'm talking about? I keep saying over and over again, fewer clever sites. It's, like I'm, it's like, like I'm not saying it. I keep saying it over and over and over again. How many people have taken the time to actually go up and research fewer and clever sites to see what I'm talking about? You see, so the information is out there. Recently, they had a situation in India where, uh, they, where people who have taken a shot, actually the, the response of the, 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 the cells that, are, that the vaccine is supposed to simulate to fight the COVID virus are actually disappearing. And they're wondering what the hell is happening here. That shouldn't happen. They're saying that at some point maybe the backup cells will kick in to, to, to fight against the, the, the COVID infection, but they don't understand what's happening with this COVID vaccine in terms of why is it as opposed to fighting enhancing the immune system is actually hampering the immune system. This is science. This is, this is, this is not some imagination. This is science. 
And what we got to do is understand, so when you talk about the importance in terms of educated people refusing to take the vaccine shot, it's because the educated people understand. They do the research. They understand precisely what these vaccines entail. Now, when we talk about Johnson Johnson in particular, and I'm not, not to get off the subject, but this is important to raise this, but when we talk about Johnson Johnson, who's currently being sued for advertising talcum powder to black women, African women, knowing damn well that the talcum powder leads to cancer, the human cancers, knowing damn well that is, that is the outcome of take, taking their product. They did so anyway because of the billions of dollars they made. The lives of African people were esoteric. The lives of African people were not important at all. The lives of African women were, 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 were not important at all. So we have these examples in terms of science, which keeps saying that there's something fundamental wrong in terms of this vaccine. How do you account for the fact in a state like Israel where you got uh, pe- people being, being, uh, uh, being, being immune, immunized, been taken on, four, on three, four different occasions, up to, up to par in terms of their shots? <clears throat> and despite that, they still lead the world in terms of reinfection in terms of COVID-19. What is going on here? Something is fundamentally wrong. The DAPA, the department that specialized in weaponry for the U.S. military, talked about the prevalence of COVID, of fermenting COVID sites in the spike protein of COVID-19. The spike protein, again, let me just reiterate again, I'm just getting so tired, I keep saying this stuff over and over again, my head hurts, says, this is the U.S. intelligence agency, which says that the fermenting cover site on the spike protein of the COVID-19 is, in fact, the result of being manufactured in a virus. The spike protein is a, is a part of the virus that actually inject, interject, injects itself into the cell. Now, if the U.S. government intelligence sources can say that, why should I take that seriously? Why should I dismiss that? It's easy for me to believe that, in fact, everything is fine. I can swallow the propaganda because they say it's good for you. I should take it. I could, I could, you know, I could, I could say that. But the bottom line is that I have to put science first. This is science. This is not some exaggeration. And all you have to do is a little bit of research to find it out. It's not, even, it's not rocket science. So if you really want to know, then you – listen, when I keep talking about this stuff from week to week, I'm not doing it for my health. I take the time to research this stuff. I mean, numerous documents I have to read every day in terms of keeping abreast of what's going on with this stuff. I do it because people need to know this stuff. Ain't like I, got, I ain't got other things I could be doing. Um, so, 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 pardon my my candor, but I'm a bit, I'm get, I'm a get, I'm a bit, um, um, I'm a bit, um, to put it, to put it blandly, I'm a bit uh, peeved because the whole point is that I do this stuff, you know, in hopes that people will listen to what I'm saying, and hopes that they will research the stuff and find out for themselves the legitimacy of what I'm saying. So when my own panelists turn around and just ignore what I say, I'm like, what the hell am I doing this for? You know. I keep on thinking about the brothers and sisters before me who set the example for me. I think about the historical figures who came before me to make it possible for me to take a stand because I realize in the history, in the glorious history in terms of fighting against injustice, as an African person, I have a moral responsibility to continue this fight. So I think about them, and that is what's keeping me going. But I'm not going to lie to you and say that when I sat there here and for weeks, I mean daily, going to read voluminous amounts of material, on a daily basis, every day, Monday through Sunday, seven days a week, and present this information, then you turn around and it's like I didn't say anything at all, which totally dismisses everything I say. Without even researching what I'm telling you, look, check it out. I got to say, it's, 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 a bit, it's a bit disconcerting. I got to be honest about that. You know what I mean? 
So anyway, I'm going to close today. You go ahead, Brother brother Africa. Let's go to the next panelist. Hey, thank you, Brother Haki. Sister Eleanor, your response to the narrative that has been flowing, where the higher degree one has, more likely they would be in opposition to taking the vaccine. And and just this whole question, you have a large segment of the, uh, of the medical doctors refuse to take a shot. What do you draw from that, Sister Eleanor? Well, um, thank you, Brother Africa. And I think on previous shows I've mentioned the fact, as well as this one, that surgeries are being postponed because doctors and professionals are refusing to take this vaccine. It's a real, it is a real issue. And I don't want Brother Hakeem or Brother Anthony or Brother Robert or you to think that uh, you're not doing an excellent job in educating us all. I think your responses to my statement in the last few minutes, Brother Anthony and Brother Hakeem, were very informative and um, teach a lot in terms of the class struggle. If you actually, I asked the question and you clarified it because I didn't understand why our people behave the way they do. But you're right. They they have a lot and a comfortable life, and and they don't care about everyone else, the old, the children, you know. But in terms of this pandemic, it is a puzzling issue, especially um, I know most about the United States where – in Louisiana, we saw where doctors and nurses were refusing to take the vaccine. I know a couple here in the District of Columbia who have said, you know, you have a choice. You can see me as a physician, but I'm not being vaccinated. I want you to know it. So um, I think uh, I, I know we have a history of vaccines being dangerous and being misused. Uh, there is the issue of Johnson and Johnson. We've seen the issue with blood clots with the uh, uh, European version, and uh, these are and 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 Brother Hakeem's statements and information does not go unheard. And I clearly know and believe that something with this vaccine was tampered with by human hands that caused it to be uh, much more uh, capable of affecting human beings uh, than a natural occurring virus. But I, I know that when we look at what the capitalists are doing in terms of development and gentrification and increasing density and not paying attention to the environmentalists and environmental science that the masses are at risk. And this may not be the last pandemic that we see in our lifetime. So the issue is um, why we didn't receive more information. Why did the U.S. say, Hey, we don't care where it came from or who did it. You know, they they don't never argue that it didn't come from Wuhan. They just said that they didn't want to touch the notion of it coming from a laboratory, that it was somehow engineered. So the issue is if we have an engineered virus that's killing people 
uh, millions of people around the world, and we have an opportunity to take a vaccine. That's the issue. And, and Brother Hakeem, we're not ignoring your, your message. We're not, I don't ignore, and I don't think our audience ignores the great information and analysis that you all present each week. It is a learning and an enlightening experience. And uh, so as far as this, this pandemic goes, I just want to see more lives saved. I'm just tired of seeing the elderly die. I'm tired of seeing black people die. What why? Why are we dying? Why is one why why is the in twenty twenty was every three days a person dying at Rikers? What is happening that the rank and file, the the lower class people are those most impacted by this vaccine? And clearly the elite the educated have uh, resources that allow them to social distance. Uh, I knew elite people that were chartering planes to go to private islands during the height of the pandemic. Uh, I was reading it on their Facebook accounts. I can't say I was with them in the same room, but I read what they were doing. So, you know, there's a great class divide, as Brother Anthony said, and I think somehow class plays a role in who and how this vaccine and age and race, uh, even obese people are more likely to uh, come down, have a severe case of the virus than those aren't. And look at Israel. They're not inoculating the Palestinians, but they're inoculating his, quote, Israeli citizens and continu- continuing to need boosters. I have no answers for those questions, Brother Africa. Thank it you, is, Suzella Norris. Let's go to Brother Moses. Give me a chance to respond. Brother Moses, you'll respond. Yeah, first of all, we have to be dialectical and historical materialists. This idealism and, and uh, wishful thinking is not going to get it done. Um, there's a two-line struggle on science. I mean, science, just be, just because we say something is science doesn't make it science. It's because there's, a, there's two different positions on, on what is science, and, and we have to understand class struggle. And I, I stand with Dr. Fauci as a scientist, as, as someone who I, who, I, who I believe in in terms of what what's going on in terms of the death rate. I mean, we talk, we're talking about over 700,000 people are dead, and this is not, a, this is not an imaginary thing. And, this, and if this vaccine can prevent it, just like all the other vaccines we've, we've had over the years for, for influenza, um, what is it, uh, flu, uh, um, uh, what is it, um, muscular dystrophy. There's, there's this different vaccines that, that children have been automatically get every year and it's never there's never been a controversy really over it. And uh, this vaccine is proven to prevent death. Whether you get it or not, it's not the issue. The issue is death and whether it whether it's it's effective in preventing death. And there and uh, you know, 
I, with the facilitation process taking place, you know, a lot of people are going to be duped. Uh, Hitler wasn't able to do his thing without convincing a lot of people that what he was doing was correct. And so, again, you know, the fact that, that a lot of people are, are against the vaccine and for freedom and this, the American way and the American I dream of, of individualism um, doesn't doesn't sway me anywhere in any bit. That just shows that that's how uh, um, selfish uh, and unscientific America is. Uh, I I I think the the real issue is whether the vaccines prevent death or not. That's the issue, and the, all this other rhetoric and left wing communism and infantile disorder. Uh, it's the same. It's the same attempt to maintain the status quo, basically. Uh, people feel comfortable in what they've been doing, and they don't want to change, and so they want to maintain the status quo. They don't want to vote because the, because the, every, because the two parties are no different, and uh, quote unquote, and uh, and there's no no um, analysis between bourgeois democracy and fascism. There is the whole land has been blurred. And 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 bourgeois democracy and fascism have become the same thing in their mind, and they don't want to vote for either one of them. And so, so you know, it's nothing new. The people who want to maintain the status quo, you know, keep on doing what they're doing, and uh, expect expect the miracle. I guess I'll leave it right there. Thank you. I hear you, brother Moses, but seem like to me the ones who are doing all the voting are the ones who maintain the status quo. But anyway, let's move forward, brother Anthony. You'll find a take. We have a we have a narrative of, of surveys of people who tend to have a sense of a high level of discipline, are less likely to take vaccination shots, and we see that's a large uh, medical community to refuse to take it. What do you draw from those phenomena, brother Anthony? Um. Well. <clears throat> well, what I draw from that is. Uh, People, uh, people that are more educated uh, by whatever means they get that education tend to re- uh, to react more to reason than to fear. And uh, and I think and I think what uh, uh, and I think among p- people that are not well educated. They react to fear more than to reason, and uh, they don't have the the time or or resources to do the the sort of research uh, that uh, uh, that a lot of people in the scientific and medical community have that ability to do. So it uh, so it, it 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 does come down to class. Now uh, now uh, there are a lot of things that are uh, that, that 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 are killing Africans, not just COVID. Uh, let's see, uh, let's see. I mean, uh, I mean we uh, we lead the uh, the world in, in, in several disease categories. Such as uh, heart disease, cancer, 
uh, depression, you know, and uh, and those sorts of things. And uh, a lot of us are, are, are getting killed by poverty, not having, uh, not, 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 not being able, you know, to have the resources to feed ourselves. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, those things that, uh, that, 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 that kill us are not getting the same attention that COVID, uh, 19 is. And, uh, you know, and the thing about it though, and you're talking of, and when you're talking about those other issues, you're talking about a fundamental change in society. And, uh, I think, and, and I think, uh, uh, you know, some of the, op- uh, the opposition to vaccine mandates uh, coming from the medical community seems to be based on reason more so than fear. And I think there is an effort to frighten people in a way, uh, you know, uh, you know, into into uh, into getting the vaccine, and the fact that is uh, that it's uh, being made mandatory in order to hold a job in some cases, and to travel. So you know, so with those court uh, combination of factors, I think that's why people are getting vaccinated. But. Uh, but the people that are opposed to mandates uh, from the scientific and medical community, they they probably know something that a lot of people don't, uh, and that's because a lot of people have not done the research and uh, and study into the uh, you, you, you know uh, you know into the science. I mean, um, I mean, do, uh, uh, because of the technical jargon that's used, science isn't uh, easy to understand for the uh, for the uh, for for most lay people, you know. So, uh, you know, so uh, you know, so I think though, I think I think the factor is the fact that it comes down to class differences again. And before we take our, thank you, Brother Anthony, before we take our uh, Rough Culture break, we'll go to Brother Kivalon, and we will ask him the same question. His opinion on what, do you, what does he make out of the narrative of there seeming to be a correlation between those with a high-level discipline, co-education, seeming to um, take the position of not taking the vaccination shot, as well as um, for those in the medical field, doctors, uh, there's a lot of decisions do refuse to take the shot. So what do you make of those nurtures, Brother Kevlar? All right, first, all right, first thing I want to say is uh, the sister, a giant in my book, um, one of the laws of my eye is, is open, being open to truth. And so when someone critiques something you say in a quick, quick constructive manner, I mean, I'm glad she didn't shun us, and so I, she, she's a giant in my book. And I do feel the same thing, how Keith says, she has the same thing over and over again. But they said the average person, 50 years old or more, can't read. That doesn't mean you don't interpret words. You, it doesn't mean 
you can't interpret words. It means your comprehension is poor. If you take a consent form to be vaccinated, one of the questions to ask you is, have you read the VIS, Vaccine Information Sheet? And a lot of people who, who are not educated, like the people with PhDs, they never heard of it, and they just go ahead and check yes. That's what a person who's not educated or a person who acts out of fear would do. Then it says, are you allergic to this? A person never heard of it before. And stated right in there, I don't know what it is. They, they're afraid. They're in line to take the vaccination. They go right down there check out. There's some things that's on the vaccine information sheet that people just ignore. They tell you it's an experiment. They don't use the word experiment, man. Run your way. They'll say things like, this is our first time doing this. And what I do hate is when people call everybody anti-vaxxers. Some people are anti-vaxxers, but all not anti-vaxxers. I know a young man when I was a child had polio. He walked in an afflicted manner. And I saw him 40 years later running around, jumping up and down. I said, something different about this guy. And I realized he had polio. So, yes, I'm happy that there was something that could make him whole again. But this vaccination is different from the vaccination in the past. And it's not that they hide this information from you. A person with a Ph.D. can read and read very clearly. Comprehension is good. A person who acts out of fear, they'll ignore what they read. Like on that backstage information sheet, it says the, M- the MNRA, message, it's a messenger thing that, that goes into your body. It sends a message to let the um, body know that when you see COVID, to attack, my position is if it's that good, to attack cancer when they see cancer, right? So if you read the vaccine information sheet, it says the message doesn't get into your nucleus. An educated person can extrapolate from there, but doesn't get into your cell at all. See, on a vaccine information sheet, it just says it does not get into the cell of your nucleus. An educated person, one PhD said, but doesn't get into the, to the cell at all. See, I don't want you putting something in my cell with a message in there, and I'm not the message writer. I don't know tell them what you're writing in that message. Then it says that once it delivers the message, it dissolves. An educated person's whistle, it dissolves. A, a, a person who's not educated. But a person with PhD would say, well, how long does it take before it dissolves? Does it dissolve right away? Or is it 28 days? So now you've got to, get, you got to come back with another shot because that one has dissolved. Also, when you look at the vaccination information sheet, it said in order for it to get approval, they had to to apply for um, U- EUA, Emergency Use of Authorization, they had to show some statistics and some a successful rate. And they said we did a test of 20,000 people. And so if that's not compared to anything, that sounds good. We get a test of 20,000 people and 90% of the people a good success ratio. But if you find out it's 7.9 billion people on the planet, almost 8 billion people on the planet, now compared to 23,000 with 8 billion people on the planet. That's that 10%. That's that 1%. You know what I mean? So what happens is people don't read. Number one, they never heard of a vaccine information sheet. Each vaccine has a vaccine information sheet. Pfizer had it, Moderna has it, and, and Janssen had it. If you haven't read it, you're ignorant. Also, when you go get the vaccination, they tell you to fill out a consent form. Let's use some common sense here. You're not consent. You're being mandated. If, and then it says you can't hold them responsible. 
a person with a PhD is not going to sign something that says that um, I'm not allowed to hold you responsible. Now, also on the back of the information sheet, it says that we don't know how long this, this is going to keep you safe. So people who keep saying that this is safe and it saves lives, it says on the vaccine information sheet, we don't know how long this is going to keep you safe. And then if it builds up certain antibodies, if every time the, vaccine, the, um, the COVID changes, it changes from 2019 to 2001 where you got uh, a Delta variant, then how is that going to help the new thing? Is that, 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 is that every time you turn around, you got to take a new shot. You got to take a new shot. You got to take a new shot. So my thing is, people say don't read CDC. My thing is, people reading it, but their comprehension is poor. They put the stuff right in front of you, and you just don't know how to read it. You're ignoring what's, what's, being, what's being said. And that's basically uh, my take on it. I think the people who are not vaccinated, they always say that they are um, not informed. Those not vaccinated are a whole lot more informed than those who act in fear and not reading what they're signing. <laughs> and matter of fact, I tested it. I tested it because on the consent form where it says that I volunteer. First of all, you're not volunteering. You're being mandated to do this, right? Then on the vaccination information sheet, the consent form, it says, I will not hold those responsible who are giving me this vaccination. And I will not hold their parties responsible. So I twisted, I twisted on them. I said, I drew a line through it. I said, I will hold you responsible. Now give me the shot. They said, we can't do that. We can't set responsibility for this. So you speak with forked tongue. You said something is safe. But when I tell you the whole to be accountable, if this thing go wrong, if I wake up tomorrow and got five toes, would you set responsibility? And they said, no, we can't set responsibility for that. So a person with PhD asks questions like that. Something that concerns their life, they ask questions. But here's something that concerns your life, that something that's going to be with you forever once you take that shot, you'll ask no questions because all the fear you're scared. And uh, when somebody talk about um, natural immunity, they don't even want to address that. You know what I mean, as uh, as alternative, they don't want just alternatives. So I ain't gonna hold a program up, right? But it's a whole lot of stuff about that. But the, the truth of the matter is that those who are not vaccinated, it's not true that they aren't informed. Oh, they are very well informed, more more so than people who are acting out of fear. Thank you, my brother, and to our listening audience. This is Africa on the Move. We're in the seat, and we're going to take the heat because as they define it, they're going to stand behind it. We're going to take a quick break, rubbish their culture break, and when we come back, we're going to discuss part three, Feed the Wall Machine by Any Means Necessary. There's an article titled Book Review, Washington Bullets, A History of the CIA Coups and Assassinations. We will discuss that next with our panelists and analysts, and we encourage you to come and join us by calling 323-679-0841. We'll be right back. This is Africa on the move. Living in pain, today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by a noose, 
can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know I must be strong to last through my journey. Yeah, to last through my journey. When we must decide to get off the ride and stop going through these changes. We must prepare and learn how to care, but soon we'll be there while our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh, how beautiful I will be to know. That I've been here and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 made it through my journey, made it through my journey, Pellerino. A bloodline across the waters from Benin to Salvador Bahia. A scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino is the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pellerinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. 
that these countries remain subservient to U.S. interests. And the only way these countries can remain subservient is that they fundamentally have to undermine their economies. So one of the problems in terms of, particularly when we talk about Africa and we talk about terms of the willingness of too many African leaders to acquiesce, to actually participate in U.S. military planning, it speaks to this, this desire in terms of, uh, you know, participate in a process which you know is going to contribute to the destabilization of Africa. For instance, so when you talk about uh, 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 President Buhari, uh, Bukhari, when you, so when you, Buhari, when you talk about, uh, you know, his participation with U.S. military in terms of fighting terror in West Africa, we understand essentially what it is is a strategy to destabilize Western and Central Africa. That's all it is. And Buhari says, because Buhari says that uh, he's doing it because of the because of the economic gains in terms of having investments, in terms of infrastructure investments. But the bottom line is Buhari is no fool. He's been in power long enough to know that historically, when the U.S. say they're going to invest in, in, in your, your infrastructure, it never happens. He knows that. But yeah, he's participating in it because there are economic benefits for Buhari in his class of people in Nigeria to participate in this in this in this this, 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 this mass atrocities. That are taking place in the African continent. So clearly, uh, one of the things we have to understand, and, and I think it's important people get this. So when we talk about the role in terms of the CIA safeguarding the interests of the capitalist class, then we have to understand in the context of America, then you have the FBI nationally or internally protect the interests of the capitalists. So once we understand that, we understand that as you alluded to earlier about Africa. So when we talk about presidents, they all do the same thing. It doesn't matter whether it's Barack Obama. Trump or Joe Biden, it doesn't matter. They all acquiesce. They all do what is in the interest of, of the capitalist class. And so in that context, their policies don't really differ. So we're clear on that point. So this kind of mass killing and this 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 this, this, this destabilization program they've been running, you know, for a long, long while, is gradually coming to a head. Increasingly you have more and more people beginning to question uh, the role of governments when they participate in these these military excursions, you know, sanctioned, you know, by the West, in particular the United States. So the, so the knowledge, so the information in terms of the, the impact of these operations is, is increasing. So um, I'm happy to see that uh, in, in, in situations where you have opportunity to actually go to Africa, you actually have opportunity to actually talk to people in terms of their views around things. Of course, you do it surreptitiously. You don't, you, don't, you don't do it where everybody can see. On many, many occasions, I, I, I've been going, I have to go out to cornfields to have these intimate discussions with African, with African brothers and sisters because they realize that the, the, the Western government finance uh, <clears throat> surveillance equipment, you know, to African states so they can surveil their people so they won't know what they're thinking because they're always afraid the next progressive leader, the next revolutionary leader, the next Thomas Sankara, the next Kwame Nkrumah, the next uh, Ben Baca, or the next uh, Patricia Mumbo, or the first Che Guevara, Guevara, they're afraid that they might rise on the occasion, so they spy on them. So I go out into the fields and have these intimate discussions. And so this understanding in terms of the, uh, the complicity in terms of African leaders, you know, working with the West in terms of these stabilization programs is becoming uh, commonplace in terms of knowledge on the African continent. And I'm happy, to, I'm co- I'm happy that's happening. Uh, but it's a very, very slow process, but unless it is happening. But clearly, Brother Africa, uh, this article speaks to the, the, the historical wrongs committed by the CIA. But I just think it's just important that the people understand why these historical wrongs why they persist, and more importantly, I think that people understand that one of the biggest fears of the ruling class is, like I said, is information. The moment people in America come to the realization that fundamentally they're being screwed, once people in America can put aside the racism, 
once they can put aside the classism, once they can put aside the ignorance, once they can put, a, put aside the propaganda, once they can put all those things to the side and see clearly what's going on, then they understand that they're being exploited and used. And the biggest fear is that you have these examples like Cuba, like Venezuela, like Nicaragua, uh, places like China, places like, uh, you know, uh, Russia, or set an example in terms of alternatives to the American way of doing things, uh, it means it's a, it, it constitutes a real threat to those positions of power. And so, therefore, in order to curtail that threat, what the CIA role is to make sure to, to, to the extent it can to actually minimize that potential threat. But as I said before, the consciousness is rising, uh, so, the threat is, so the threat from the U.S. and from the Western nations is not as potent but as powerful as it historically was. And more importantly, as, as countries take control of their own economy, it leaves the U.S. powerless in terms of actually being able to implement uh, uh, policy with respect to overthrowing their society. And I'll close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Hackney. Brother Anthony, your take for this article, but before you discuss this article, Brother Anthony, can you talk to our listening audience about your understanding of what do they mean by manufacturing consent for a wall? When we talk over they said seven years of shit. We can say ever since American inception, they've been manufacturing consent for a wall. Your response, Brother Anthony. Yes. Uh, one of the roles of the CIA is to create the conditions in which the U.S. public will go along with the policy that was set up to protect the interests of the ruling class. And uh, one, of the, one of their roles is to develop uh, propaganda, uh, uh, you know, uh, targeting the particular country they're trying to attack or countries they're trying to attack. And uh, this literature is disseminated by the imperialist press which is controlled by imperialists and Zionists. And uh, these, and they, uh, they present information in such a way to, uh, to, uh, to manufacture consent for U.S. policy, which is why there's no big hue and cry over uh, uh, over U- U.S. military spending and uh, U.S. Uh, intervention in uh, in, uh, in in these countries' uh, internal affairs around the world. There's currently no cry out against that. Uh, well, at least there hasn't been since the Vietnam War. And uh, that's because uh, one of the one of the the tasks of the CIA is to create the conditions, uh, you know that uh, you know that the that the public will uh, will go along with U.S. foreign policy without any criticism, and um, you know and. Um, you know, with uh, you know v- Vijay Prasad's book on this, 
is uh, is a critical look at the CIA, and uh, uh, you know it only comes up it seems like every few de- uh, few decades or so that uh, that uh, that uh, you know the various mechanisms of the U.S. government come under scrutiny by people inside the U.S. But the reason why that doesn't come up too often is because uh, of the uh, of the uh, disinformation that is being uh, spread by these countries that really want that are no threat to the U.S. Uh, militarily, but they want. Uh, to uh, they want genuine political and economic independence, and that is why uh, so many of these regimes, uh, you know, that have chosen a path of socialist development, have been attacked and overthrown over the over the CIA's seventy-year history. Thank you, Brother Abner. Sister Eleanor, in the international community, they often say behind every country a problem, you will find an American. Looking at this particular article, you talk about over seven years or more, there seems to be a valid valid, um, assumption. What do you take from this article, Sister Eleanor? One, I realized that uh, Vijay Bashad is a brilliant analyst. And uh, it's interesting, he started with the uh, coup in Guatemala. I was wondering why he didn't start with the one in Iran. But uh, that's when Winston Churchill said, why are they sitting on our oil? And the democratically elected president was uh, assassinated. One of the things I find interesting about this article, and you asked the question to Brother Anthony, uh, and he answered it in terms of domestic conditions. I think there are also conditions on the ground in these individual countries where, um, you know, there's an economic uh, social crisis and uh, misleading information is fed to the masses and they pit themselves against each other. But we have to also, uh, in looking at this article, realize the impact that colonialism had, neo-colonialist leaders, and how divisive they are. In Nigeria, for example, Bahari, already China had been there and built roads and uh, rebuilt the capital, moved it from Lagos to Abuja. His interest is in maintaining power, their wealth, their greed. We're ignoring the fact that these people are very greedy. One of the things I like about the article, and I brought it up a couple of times over the last few weeks, is the examination of the Diego Rivera Miro called The Glorious Victory. And he has John Foster Dulles shaking hands over a pile of 
dead corpses with Castillo Amas, who who deposed the elected president, standing next to the pair with his satchel full of cash, uh, while uh, Dwight Eisenhower's face is in the picture of the bomb. So this was quite insightful. And in this article, he went further to talk about uh, Dulles's uh, brother heading the CIA from 53 to 61, and then becoming uh, one of the Dulles brothers becoming the president of United Fruit. So this is capitalist greed. And I think that uh, Guatemala at that time, uh, there was... uh, the uh, class struggle between the indigenous people and the uh, uh, neo-colonialists. And uh, still, there was a struggle that continued through the 80s right up to now with the indigenous people in Guatemala. But the article is very informative, and it definitely talks about the importance of squashing the, the, uh, the Salvador Allende's, the Shea Chaveras, and the great leaders of the world, the Moab Gaddafi's, the Castro's, and why that's so important. But you have to remember that these people, like the, uh, of the Castillo Amas, who uh, became the president, of Guatemala, he said one thing very interesting. He said, if it's necessary to turn the country into a cemetery in order to pacify it, I will not hesitate to do so. That was the greed and the individualism of that one Guatemala. So, the CIA wouldn't be able to infiltrate if it wasn't for the greed and the miseducation of these neo-colonialists, their lack of patriotism, and their their want of wealth, personal wealth and gain. But it's an excellent it's an excellent article. He's a fantastic writer, and he examines uh, these 20th century. Uh, Taz and and the squashing of revolutionary movements throughout the third world. And it seems that the CIA, as it says in the article, is uh, assisting these bloodbaths and providing uh, people like Hamas with a list. It provided Hamas with a list of the communists and uh, with the gifts of its assassination manual where it talks about divide and conquer and, and, and Sister Shirley read that list off to us and I'm sorry that I'm not able to to recite it to you but uh, they provided him with the uh, model so that he could set up the political economic construct on the ground in Guatemala and gave him a list of uh, the politically conscious people uh, as they call them, the list was called the list of, quote, communists, end quote, and with the gift, uh, once again, repeating myself, of uh, its assassination manual. So uh, the manual was later applied to other operations 
directed against the third world. Patrice Lumumba uh, of the Congo in 1961. And, of course, if it works, why you are going to use what works over and over again. And the people themselves on the ground were vulnerable and greedy, and you could buy them off. When you look at that, the audience takes a look at Diego Rivera's mural, Glorious Victory. It's discussed in the book. You'll see Foster Dallas shaking hands over that pile of corpses with uh, the the, the uh, uh, president. And uh, he later, one of them, you know, it's just outrageous, but he, he puts it all in a piece of art. And uh, he's, and this mural was done in the 50s. So people were standing up and speaking. And uh, I'd love for folks to take a look at that because it's in one image. The greed of the individual and their ability to be manipulated by CIA representatives, employees. I don't know if they identify themselves as CIA employees or or do they say I'm a journalist or do they say I'm a, uh, a professor, I'm a doctor. Who are these people? That's the, the only question I wondered. Um, Dallas is clearly identified as the director of the CIA, and they identified another gentleman that was in charge of the South Asian desk. He's uh, deceased now. And uh, it was interesting, the comments about Afghanistan, that long before the Soviet invasion, we were funding the quote-unquote bad guys. So this is a, a book well worth reading. I think anyone majoring in political science, anyone concerned about having a revolutionary perspective on world politics and being able to stand united with their brothers and sisters around the world should definitely read the article as well as the book. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Brother Moses, talk to us. That seems to be American foreign policy that dictates they were staying stay in power by any means necessary. You'll take Brother Moses on article. Yes, this is true. Um, we talked about this article a couple of weeks ago and I was saying that it was a it was a very concrete analysis, concrete conditions, uh, a very well written article uh that it gives concrete examples of everything he's talking about when he talks about US imperialism and this domination of the world and this policing of the world and this assassination in order to in order to perpetuate the interests of the ruling class within the US of A. And uh, you know, it's interesting that the CIA, you know, it's assassinating the leaders around the world, um uh and the only the left wing communist and infantile disorder, as Lennon pointed out in his book, Left Wing Communist and Infantile Disorder. It's, it's, it, he shows the importance of electoral politics and the fact that left-wing communists don't don't participate in electoral politics. And basically, the only time, the only the only in the USA, the, ph- the phenomenon plays out like like basically they're against any elections in the USA 
but there are four some elections in foreign countries, Africa, uh, Venezuela, Cuba, different, Nicaragua, different countries, they're pro-elections in those countries, but uh, in terms of the USA, it's just impossible to get anybody involved in electoral politics because because it's, it's, it's considered to be corrupting the, the ideology of the, the pure pure ideology of revolution or something. I don't know. Uh, there's some kind of mixed up uh, um, idealism that's going on within their minds. And um, but you know, this book points out that uh, that the you know the U.S. is not confused. Uh, uh, they when they see someone is coming to power, they they um, they execute their plans. And, um, you know, we've got to unite and uh, support progressive people and, and and recognize that there's a dialectic and historical process going on in terms of revolution. It's not going to take place overnight and that, you know, we're going to have to choose leaders. And the way leaders get chosen is uh, in the struggle itself in, in order to advance the struggle. And, and um, but anyway, this is a good book. Uh, um, and I hope people read it. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Before we go into our next our next article, I want to bring Brother Haki back and get him to articulate on this particular point. Brother Haki, when they talk about manufacturing consent, they list maybe nine a nine step process in which they use the tactics as a tool to manifest um, consent. Now, in looking at these tactics, my question is, are they doing anything differently then than what they're doing today? As we look at what's going on in Cuba, Venezuela, Zimbabwe, um, Kuwait, Syria, Libya, these are some of the tactics that they, they say they use to uh, manufacture consent. They say, one, lobby public opinion. That's one. Man on the ground. Three, make sure the generals are ready. Four, make the economy screen. Five, diplomatic isolation. Six, organize mass protests. And let me repeat that one organize mass protests. Seven, green light. Eight, assassination, and nine, like always, deny, deny, deny. Your response, Brother Hockey, how is that different <laughs> from what they do doing today? Well, <clears throat> well, Brother Africa, it, it's not different. It's precisely the same formula they use today. Uh, with respect to lobbying, lobbying public opinion, uh, that is key. Uh, it's important that you get uh, people behind you in terms of any kind of trust that you're about to form it. If you can get people to support let's say, a lie, uh, then it's much, much more easier to carry out that lie. And so, therefore, it's key in terms of making sure that the ignorance among the populace uh, is at an all-time high. And that makes it possible in terms of carrying out strategies and tactics, uh, particularly for the overthrow of a society. Well, with respect to the appointing the right man on the ground, remember in uh, Venezuela they had Juan Guaido. But the problem with Juan Guaido was that, no one, nobody knew him. Knew him. Uh, secondly, he didn't have a following inside of Venezuela, and so therefore they picked the wrong man. As a consequence, the strategy failed because Juan Guaido wasn't the correct person to, to, to pick. 
normally what they do, they, they investigate and they figure out the person who has a max amount of, of, of uh, allure in society, and that is the individual they point out, they, they, they target in terms of, you know, putting positions of power to carry out the, the U.S. agenda. Uh, so clearly that is something that they have always historically done and something they will continue to do. And then with respect to make sure the generals are ready, of course. One of the things you can overdo a society, one of the things you want to make sure is damn sure the military is, is support you uh, because they're the ones who can fight, fight against you. So consequently, in the case of Venezuela, uh, one of the things they tried to organize the generals in Venezuela to actually initiate a coup within Venezuela, but it turned out the generals supported the, 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 the state, uh, the state, the state the government of Venezuela. And as a consequence, uh, the U.S. was unsuccessful in terms of making some inroads in terms of impacting generals. So as a consequence, uh, that uh, attempt at coup didn't succeed. Uh, make the economy scream. Yeah, of course, that's what they always do. Uh, one of the things, the benefits of making the economy scream, you can say to people, well, the reason why the uh, economy is so bad, this guy, is, he's, uh, he's, he's corrupt, he's incorrigible, he's, uh, he's incompetent, uh, any number of reasons. But what they don't tell you is that the, the systematic things, the things going behind the scenes, particularly the manipulation of institutions that make the economy decline, they don't tell you anything about that. For instance, in Cuba, they, they don't talk about in terms of the boycott, in terms of the, the, the kind of uh, uh, machinations they resort to in terms of making sure that Cuba don't have access to the things they need, raw materials they need, in terms of you know taking care of its population. They don't tell you. They simply tell you the problem is communism. This communism is the problem. It's not the problem. The systematic uh, oppression, the systematic manipulation, you know, of the global economy for the purposes of undermining Cuba's development. They won't tell you that. And one of the things, certainly, when we talk about in context of China or Russia, one of the reasons why they haven't been successful in terms of making those economies green, because those economies are big and strong enough to stand on their own. The U.S. has no power whatsoever, so they can't make those economies green. Uh, Diplomatic isolation, of course, one of the things they do is demonize the country. I mean, the country, these, these representatives, they're, they're corrupt, they're no good, uh, blah, 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 blah. So, therefore, you know, we can't take them seriously. So, anything they have to say is, is unimportant. So, as a consequence, the media takes the lead and say, okay, we're not going to interview these people. We can pretend like they don't exist. And that, and that, that sort of completes the uh, isolation process. Now, in terms of organizing mass protests, one of the things we all heard a term, term, a color revolution. So essentially what we're saying is that as opposed to being out front in terms of the manipulation of society, what they would use is these, these organizations, whether they, um, a, um, uh, what do you call them, the, um, uh, what, is, what is that, what is, on the tip of my tongue. Anyway, it's these organizations that they use, government, government-sanctioned organizations that they use in terms of uh, facilitating uh, uh, U.S. policy and, and facilitating those policies that make sure they create a situation where the U.S. is perceived in a very positive light, and so therefore, since it's viewed in a very positive light, uh, people tend to support that. And so when people support that, uh, it makes it easier for movements to prevail because those people who they corrupted, those individuals who they tapped, specifically generals, to carry out that, 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 uh, carry out that coup against their society, uh, those individuals feel more empowered because they got the masses of people you know, espousing their support for what they do. And, of course, uh, once they have all those uh, objectives uh, achieved, then, of course, it's the green light. Okay, let's go. Let's go do it. Let's, let, you know, let's do it. Fascinations, of course. Those individuals, you know, who they, in terms of, you know, cleaning up, uh, you want to make sure, you know, that you don't have anybody left behind who can expose what, what transpired. And so what you want to do is actually assassinate those leaders. And so what, typically what happens is that after they form a coup, you find, in case of Bolivia, 
you find Evo Morales had to get on a plane and get to Mexico quickly because he hadn't went to Mexico, uh, flew out of Mexico, flew out of Bolivia to Mexico. They would have killed him because he understood precisely what we were doing, you know, uh, in terms of the plotting and the strategies behind that. So those kind of people who have access to the kind of information, of course, are targeted for assassination. Make no mistake about it. When we talk about the assassination, it's not just it exists on the international scene. They also have the same kind of process nationally within, within, the, within the United States. And, of course, as always, it's deny, deny, deny. They, they said they're allowed to their teeth. Uh, you know, and uh, they'll, they'll pretend like, you know, you know, like nothing you say. They'll, they'll say it's conspiratorial. So that's a term that the CIA coined. Uh, so in order to discredit the person, you just said, oh, that's conspiratorial. And that means that, uh, you, know, you know, they're just talking trash. They don't have any, any information behind what they say. There's a certain amount of plausible deniability. They want to make sure people don't have access to information. So when they say, to, say a person is being conspiratorial, uh, you know, then, of course, it has some legitimacy in America because people believe that unless they can read it, it doesn't exist. And so, therefore, it all plays into the propaganda. So to answer your question, Brother Africa, yes, you're absolutely correct. This is the same form that historically used. They continue to use it today, and it is wildly successful. So clearly we got our work cut off for us in terms of, you know, uh, you know uh, undermining these steps that they take in terms of the overthrow of societies. And to add to your point, Brother Haki, and um, when we talk about how they create um, consent, is a lot of time also they create this concept what we call control opposition that you had talked about. They create folks that seem to be in opposition to them and make you think that when in reality they really created that and had them to function in a way that would justify them being able to intervene into these countries and do what they want to do. And this goes on all the time, all the time. Create what we call control opposition. Gave the illusion that there's opposition when reality is them that creating all of this. Let's bring in Brother what? Anthony. Brother Anthony, well, before we go to Brother Anthony, <laughs> um, based on um, what I've discussed up to this point, let's see if Brother Keeblon has anything you'd like to contribute to. This particular discussion, brother Keeblon, any thoughts or yeah, we can. comments? Can you, you like hear me, make? brother? Can you hear me? Hello, can you hear me? Yes, we can. We can hear you. Oh, uh, you can't. You can't forget that um, the head of the CIA became the U.S. president. So you already got a power because you're head of the CIA. You and everybody's affair know what's going on in these countries, and then you become a U.S. president. Now you really got some power then. And I think all of us pretty much saying the same thing. Um, what what, what allows consent? You have countries that without diseases, you have um food shortages, you have you have uh, um social unrest, instability, all those things, right? So at some point, you know, people ask for the UN United States intervention. But when but when a military comes into any type of any nation at all, that's that's pretty much the last thing. I, mean, I remember um, brother was saying it's three M's: the military, the merchants, and the military. The military is lives, and so you have religious, especially you have countries right that don't practice um, Christianity. Right, it's kind of hard to impose your religion on them. So then they use the merchants, they use uh, um, food shortages, blockades, they use a lot of social unrest, things like that. Right, all that takes place before the military comes in. Pretty much when when the military comes in, you put much on laws because I mean everything as you had failed, and but usually a lot of times a lot of things that you put in place 
do succeed, so you won't have to bring the military in. Because sooner or later, if people got a lot of diseases and they got food shortage and things like that, then they can pretty much consent to um, United States involvement. I didn't read the article, but I could just pretty much extrapolate from what's been said so far. And, um, um, yeah, that's, that's all I have to add to that part. All right, thank you, my brother. Brother Anthony, let's make our transition over to another real interesting article that supports or deal with that theme tonight, Feed the War Machine by Any Means Necessary. Now, one can look at the history and behavior of American foreign policy and history, and it will see that it loved to feed upon the youth. It feeds the, feed on the youth, and it kills the youth. That was a really interesting article that one should um, Google. Uh, talks about American child soldiers, J-R-O-T-C, and the militarization of America. And one of the things to point out is American foreign policy and American society and how they see and value youth. Reading this article, how do American society, its government military, value youth, and what principles do they function off of when they come out there are pro-youth? Or are they, Brother Anthony? Speak to that particular issue, Brother Anthony. They're not pro-youth. They're anti-youth. And as a matter of fact, they they view the youth as pawns. And, uh, you know, for those who are, you know, you know that you know that 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 they see the youth, especially the uh, the uh, the youth of the working masses, as pawns to be used to advance the interests of the ruling bourgeoisie. That is how how they do that, and um, they do this uh, they do this rather openly. They have a program called the Junior JROTC, uh, and that is uh, and and what they do is they uh, they establish them they establish chapters on, uh, uh, in different high schools throughout the U.S. and. Uh, they do this rather openly, because uh, what they uh, they they use a fancy uh, term called uh, let me see where can I find that at? Let me see just a moment. Uh, youth development program. And uh, and they and and under that program, they recruit uh, they recruit youth, uh, adolescents primarily uh, into these into the uh, junior reserve officer training uh, uh, corps. And uh, let's see, and they use that uh, in order to uh, coerce youth into the military. 
and this intensified after the uh, the draft was abolished uh, during the 70s. But they've expanded that, and uh, and the rationale is uh, that uh, and they prey upon uh, you know the undeveloped consciousness of the youth. And uh, they they take uh, they use arguments like it provides structure, and and that sort of thing, and uh, and they they take advantage of a lot of poor families uh, that uh, that 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 aren't highly stable in a lot of cases, and. Uh, and uh, they feed on the uh, on uh, on the youth's uh, search for something to belong to that's bigger than themselves. So they take advantage of the gullibility of the youth in order to uh, in order to uh, you, uh, you, you know uh, b- build these uh, military programs up. And they're effective recruiting tools for getting people to serve in the military. And what and what uh, and what a lot of people uh, don't understand is that the youth, uh, once they once they made that commitment, they can't get out of it if they were to change their mind. And if they do change their mind. Then, uh, then they're drugged, you know, as this article points out. So the drug use, and uh, that's why, um, you know, drug use is so rampant in a lot of poorer communities inside the U.S. Because it starts in the military. And uh, these are some of the things they use in order to coerce youth. And also they give waivers uh, to countries that uh, that they want to have diplomatic relations with uh, that use uh, child soldiers. Countries like Yemen, uh, Syria... Of uh, you know uh, 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 Chad, Sudan, you know, and uh, you know, and uh, you know, it's all about feeding that uh, feeding that war machine, and this uh, goes to show that no matter how advanced the technology, wars are won and lost by people. At the end of the day, thank you, Anthony and Sister Eleanor. You know, we can often judge a society, a system, based upon its principles and values. We're going to read this short paragraph from this article, and I would just like to have your response to it. And it says a lot about how. Uh, one may view youth and children. 
Now, the article states that Congress surely meant to do the right thing. When the fall of 2008, it passed the Child Soldiers Protection Act, CSPA. The law was designed to protect kids worldwide from being forced to fight the walls of big men. From then on, any country that coerced children into becoming soldiers was supposed to lose all U.S. military aid. And it turned out, out, however, that Congress, in its rare moment of concern for the next generation, had it all wrong. In its greater wisdom, the White House found countries like Chad and Yama so vital to the national interests of the United States that it it pretended to overlook what happened to children in their midst. Were those kind of behaviors, those kind of refusal to sign uh, policies or or sign um, declarations that would be pro-children, what do you make of this, Sister Alamore? What does that say about a system, a society that has a value of being into you? Eleanor, your response. Well, of all, as Brother Anthony uh, was talking about, in this country we got rid of the draft and we invented uh, something uh, called No Child Left Behind. It's similar to this legislation that you just mentioned, the Child Soldier uh, Prevention Act, CSBA. Well, No Child Left Behind, what it does, is it tracks American children from elementary school through high school. And what it does, it keeps track of children that are socially responsible, great attendance, but through no fault of their own, they're undereducated and have no prospects for training beyond high school or uh any secondary education behind high school. And the next thing you know, they show up at your house, a a young guy dressed in beautiful army clothing, uh, military clothing, whether whatever branch of the military, U.S. military he's from, and tells you what a great parent you are. And they try to talk you into letting your 18-year-old enlist in the military in the United States. And what the United States has done domestically this increase the benefits and also, again, the social propaganda. And I'm sorry, Brother Africa, I didn't have the article up to list those nine points because we do that domestically as well. So we've gone from being the anti-war protesters of the 70s, the anti-Vietnam War protesters, to a nation of walking up to military people saying, thank you for your service to the country. Thank you, thank you. Three meals, three everything. Also, we've increased uh, the quality of life. Uh, When this homelessness problem began uh, uh, to be such a pandemic in the United States in the 70s, we found that they were Vietnam veterans out on the street, living on the street. Um, so, uh, apparently we are hypocrites because we obviously, uh, don't mind children fighting, especially when Lockheed Martin and Northern Grumman and, and McDonald Douglas and, and they are allies and they, um, the Pentagon was, and the, 
uh, American weapons makers want to, and I'm quoting the article, by handling millions of taxpayer dollars over to uh, such allies who who must then turn around and buy from the services from the Pentagon and the materials from the uh, the crowd I just mentioned, the merchants of death, I'm quoting the article. And, of course, we know the crowd, again, the Lockheed Martins, and we know all of these people. So this was, again, doublespeak. We have no more interest for our youth, our working-class youth in this country, than we do for the children of Yemen, of the South Sudan, because, as the article said, the South Sudan, Rwanda, uh, they listed several nations that uh, use uh, Central African Republic of the Congo um, uh, that use these child soldiers. So I guess it depends on which side the U.S. is on that particular day as to whether or not you'll receive your funding. Uh, Miramar, and we've seen what's going on in Miramar right now, and they received said funding, and the soldiers are mowing down the citizens of Miramar, <coughs> formerly uh, called Burma, I think. So um, the children aren't a concern. I think the concern is the industrial war machine and the Pentagon. And uh, they're not concerned about child soldiers. Any any more than the No Child Left Behind Act is concerned with making sure our children are educated and have proper health care, nutrition, and most importantly, a decent education and a home to live in. No one's concerned with that. That has nothing to do with No Child Left Behind. No Child Left Behind seems like a military tracking system. I always tell parents, don't sign it. Don't sign that form. They're not saving your child. They're tracking your child. So I I see this uh, uh, CSPA Act of 2008, the Child Soldier uh, Prevention Act, as being a similar type of policy. It's only as good as uh, uh, the industrial uh, war machine wants it to be. At the time, they're concerned with making money, selling weapons and services to undermine the peoples of the world for personal gain and profit. Brother Moses, thank you, Sister Eleanor. Brother Moses, in your own words, let me read this article. How do you rectify the contradiction between a war machine and the so-called functioning of a democratic society, Brother Moses. Yeah, the war machine is is a, a function of of the military-industrial complex, which is private property and and government in bed with each other. Uh, the the ruling class, the, the private capitalists are in control and getting their interests met. And uh, basically, you know, the the democratic process uh, is is 
bourgeois democracy demands that there be uh, the people choose every so often their their elected officials and representatives, and uh, the dominance of capital and money in the, in that process means that the capitalists are able to continuously keep keep supplied uh, representatives who look out for their interests, and so you know uh, without a revolution. You know, people will uh, continue that that process. Uh, the rich will keep getting rich, and the poor will keep getting poor, and we'll keep having these elections, and uh, and uh, and uh, until uh, a representative of the working class, the leadership takes control of 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 the government and have have a Elections that don't have involve money and 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 recognizes the true interests of the working class. Uh, it's a lot. It's a lot easier said than done. Uh, it's a struggle to get people in power to who who represent our interests. Uh, and uh, the question is, how is that going to happen? Uh, is it going to be uh, just uh, outside agitators, or, uh, outside of the government structure, outside of the electoral process, just just continuously criticizing and criticizing and criticizing until someday uh, uh, enough people see what they're talking about and uh, and follow them, uh, or is it going to be a dialectical process, a materialist process where some we have to enter into the electoral process and and struggle to get our interest carried out until we and use that as a gathering point and a rallying point to for revolution and uh and have the masses win over the hearts and minds of the masses to a revolutionary outlook and this all this is this is this is a struggle this is Everybody's got opinions and ideas about how how uh, um, change is going to take place, and it's, we have to be dialogue and historical materialists. We have to we have to be be people who put words and deeds into practice, and uh, and you know this we we just we're faced with a, a, a enormous task. And uh, that's why we have to study other revolutions, study the Soviet Revolution, study the Cuban Revolution, study study the Chinese Revolution, study in uh, Venezuela what's going on, and uh, in Cuba, in in Nicaragua, and uh, learn from all these experiences, and uh, and you know that's the only way we're going to change the situation. Uh, we're going to have to get involved in. And organizing real people and winning over real hearts and minds to a different way, and and uh, and get commitment uh, commitment of people to change the status quo, the the continuous process of of uh, of allowing the ruling class to rule, 
And we have to we have to actively do something that's going to change that situation. Anyway, I, I I'm rambling. I'll leave it right there. Thank you, Brother Moses. What we're going to do is we're going to trans we're going to, um we're going to transcend transcend to another article. Um, we're going to make a transition to the next article, which is titled for the gathering gathering. U.S. wealthiest 1% are falling to pay $160 billion a year in taxes. A report, it says the wealthiest 1% of Americans are responsible for more than $160 billion of lost tax revenue each year, according to a new report from the U.S. Treasury. According to the Treasury report, the wealthiest 1% of U.S. taxpayers are responsible for an estimated $163 billion in unpaid taxes each year, amounting to 28% of the tax of the tax gap. And I'm going to stop right there, Brother Haki. When we're talking about this whole question of feeding the war machine, um, you know a lot of these company CEOs make up part of that 1% group. Now, when we talk about how they are avoiding taxes or getting tax cut breaks, and it doesn't really stimulate the economy, what do you have to say about that phenomena in terms of, you know, how the people are truly being undermined in terms of not being able to meet the social needs that they need within this border that they call the U.S.? Just your general response to this, this whole large tax cut that's given to 1% and how it plays a role of keeping the military machine alive and how it undermines the social programs and social needs of the people inside of this country. Brother Haki. Yeah. Well, you know, Brother Africa, you should should have to give them credit for their ability uh, to deceive people. Uh, um, I mean, their ability is superb. I mean, clearly. They have a system in place which fundamentally um, transfer wealth from the poor people's society to the wealthiest society. Now, this is now in, in condition, juxtapose this. Talk about a situation in terms of war. And so, of course, war is big business. So one of the reasons why um, the uh, five major uh, arms industry are making millions, uh, billions and billions of dollars is because war is very, very profitable. Now, here's the catch. And investing in these wars and desiring these wars or even growing up these wars, these people uh, receive large sums of money. Large sums of money they can then turn they can turn to one of two things. They can invest in assets. They can buy property, land, so forth, so on. Or they can simply hide it in uh, offshore accounts. Now, in, if they take the investment route, uh, let's say they buy the assets, land, and houses. Well, when they buy that land and that, that, those, that property, that, the value, the system ensures the value of those properties continue to go up, which means that the wealth for these for that one percent of the population who have access, you know, to them all the money, uh, ensure more wealth for them. So, so we can say from just from looking at terms of war, in terms of how profitable it is, it, it has a very negative impact on the overall function of the economy for the society who need houses. Uh, people who uh, who need land in terms of you know, for for infrastructure or land for uh, building schools or land for whatever, 
Those things are simply not forthcoming, simply because the masses of people are not in a position to actually take advantage of, of those opportunities. Those opportunities are solely for the capitalist class, and this is what people understand. And so when you talk about $160 billion uh, 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 of taxes not being paid yearly, that's on the tip of the iceberg, Brother Africa. When you, when you include the $43 trillion they hide yearly of offshore accounts, then you get some idea in terms of the kind of money they have access to, the kind of control they have over the system, that it makes it possible for them to benefit at the expense of all others. People have to fundamentally begin to understand that when you talk about war, we, we have to understand it's big business. Aside from understanding big business, we understand our role in terms of facilitating war. Uh, one of the things, you know, when we talk about large expenditures when it comes to war, earlier I talked about the fact that the distinction between Republicans and Democrats or autocrats versus, you know, versus uh, oligarchs. Where clearly, when you talk about oligarchs, you know, when you talk about these large expenditures, they are very, very sensitive to the fact that inevitably people are going to realize that all this money is being used to spend for war, but nothing's being used to benefit the people in the society. They understand that's a problem. So for them, propaganda is extremely important to get make people think. So they are, they are feigning the concern like um, unemployment. They are feigning concern like um, poor educational school systems. They are feigning concern about things like uh, even pro- police brutality. They are saying they're concerned about these things to keep people thinking that they're actually concerned about those things. And that in itself is, is sufficient enough to keep people, you know, believing the hype. And so from year out of year in, people continue to vote for these same people and put them in positions of power, and they continue to do the same thing, which is to continue to promise them that they're going to do A, X, Y, and Z. Uh, so clearly, Brother Africa, this is a question in terms of the, the tax dodging. You know, uh, you know um, in, in addition to when we talk about the various tax breaks that they, that they set up for the wealthy, so the $160 billion is on the tip of the iceberg. So we, we're talking about, you know, we're talking about trillions and trillions of dollars in which the wealthy people get away with not paying. So clearly, if, in fact, this was democracy, a democracy would certainly never allow such a thing to happen. In fact, one of the reasons why they're so antagonistic against China is because when that kind of corruption uh, reveals itself in China, the Chinese Central Committee moves to, to deal with it. In America, the capitalists are free to, 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 to do anything they want uh, to the extent that they benefit. They're not concerned about the overall function of the economy. They're not concerned about the people. They're concerned about their wealth and their empowerment. And so, therefore, they situate the situation in Virginia to do, in, in, in the United States to do, what, do whatever, they, do whatever uh, they can in terms of more wealth for themselves. And certainly you've got a system which sort of reinforces that that makes it possible for the wealthy to, to gain the system. So clearly, Brother Africa, this $160 billion, billion they talk about is only, only uh, a drop in It's only a small portion in terms of overall taxes that the rich, the rich get away with not paying. Uh, it seems to me that one of the things is very, very clear. If we think for one second that politicians are going to remedy the situation, then we think again. Because when we look at the U.S. Congress, most of those people are very, very wealthy. And certainly, if they stay in there for long, three, three to over three years, they become fabulously wealthy. So they got a vested interest and not changing the system. So in the context of capitalism, the bottom line is about making money. And so, therefore, if you got tax breaks for the wealthy and you're a congressperson and you're on the road to becoming wealthy, why would you advocate for a system that would actually tax you? You wouldn't. So the consequences, when so we talk about these offshore accounts, all these things are happening, you got to ask yourself in America, why would you have six, six entities in America specifically making it possible for people to avoid paying taxes? Why would you do that? But the same token you would tell me 
$160 billion is not paid, uh, paid uh, yearly, but yet you made these, 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 tax, these tax shelters possible. So what are they really saying to us? They're saying to us that in the context of capitalism, because the capitalists have the capital, they make the rules. It's very, very simple. So people have to understand the fundamental reality and understand that it's going to be a fight. And if people don't you know, wake up to the reality in terms of what it takes in terms of changing this, then you know what? We're in real, real sad shape. Not close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Anthony, Haki sort of alluded to the issue that I've raised with you during this uh, last part of his statement. When you read this article, it has an underpinning message of wealth and capital versus the people and their aspirations. Now, it seems to me that those that have wealth and capital, they own and control the politicians, which means the question of voting in this particular system and process really has, has no power. Your response to that statement in this article, Brother Anthony. Voting is actually uh, the bare minimum that an individual can do to to participate in the political process. Voting is not sufficient. Uh, Let's see. uh, And uh, and 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 uh, I'm responding. I'm also touching on uh, Brother Robert's question in terms of what's to be done is people have to be organized, especially the workers and the peasantry. Uh, You know, just the the working class in general. Uh, Let's see. uh, Voting is the bare minimum you uh, you can do in order to exercise political power. Power is something that has to be taken, uh, you know, is not going to be handed to you. And that takes work, struggle, and the people have to be organized in order to to engage in those struggles necessary. Voting is a part of that, but it's the bare minimum and and not even the most important part. Uh, the most important thing is for uh, the workers to be organized into organizations that represent their political interests. And that's something that uh, that the uh, that 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 the the existing uh, left wing you know, in this society has not done effectively. It has not organized the working class effectively in order to, uh, you know, to seize power. And uh, and as long as the workers, uh, you know, remain disorganized, they're going to, uh, they're going to, uh, you know, uh, Vote for the uh, for, for for the bourgeois du- duopoly that has that 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 does uh, that that could care less about their interests. 
And uh, so, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, looking at, uh, you know, uh, you know, rule setting and whatnot, uh, the people have to be organized in order to seize power. And uh, let's see, and uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, the tax burden, uh, let's see if, uh, you know, with, with, with all, uh, with all of that money, uh, you know, uh, not, uh, not being collected from the 1%, um, this, uh, this economy has to function somehow, even though, and the thing about it though, the way it functions is that it uh that 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 it heavily taxes the work uh the workers who do not have the resources to afford uh you know the sort of uh you know legal representation to uh, you know to take it at, or to take advantage of the loopholes in the tax law and uh and the only way that's going to be uh be uh de- defeated is by uh you know the workers being organized Thank you, Brother Evans. Since Eleanor, closing the tax gap, would it be beneficial to everybody? If they yes, could do that, would. or would it not make that much difference? What do you think, Sister Eleanor? Well, definitely closing the gap would be beneficial because when you read this article, you have to take in consideration that this article has been written since Donald Trump. Uh, has been out of office, so that means that is counting on uh, the rich of the rich, as the article says, paying virtually nothing, and the top 20% paying a little more, and uh, just the very top, the top 20% are paying virtually no taxes, and when Donald Trump went into office, the first thing he did was lower taxes for the rich, and it's creating an international crisis because right now in the EU, they're getting ready to set a minimum tax for the rich and for corporations. We in this country, and we often talk about it on our program, on on this program, um, talk about capitalists and people being afraid of U.S. capitalists, I think what happens really is that foreign corporations now are much more sophisticated than we may realize, and they come here and form subsidiaries and corporations because they can dodge taxes at home and don't have to pay them here because we do not hold the rich and corporations responsible for their taxes. Look, uh, we I think it might have been on this program. I read an article recently where Jeff Bezos didn't pay any taxes at all in 2014 or 2019. How is that possible in the world? So uh, definitely uh, there would be a great benefit to enforce the tax codes. 
But as the article said, we can't even afford to train the workers to go through the thousands of pages of tax laws to enforce the laws. But at a bare minimum, it would be a beginning. But we need to raise taxes on the rich. We need to close loopholes for corporations in particular, as well as the very rich who own them. We need to bring that 1% under control, but also that top 20%. And uh, taxes are only the beginning. As the article opened, uh, the the author stated that uh, a nation can only survive on its tax base. That's its only revenue. So definitely everyone has to pay taxes. But unfortunately in this country, corporation and the rich paid the least taxes of any developed country, I think, in the world. And I may be mistaken, but I I got a feeling I'm not far off the mark. So uh, we definitely would benefit from greater tax enforcement and uh, uh, um, reinstating the um, prior to 2016 tax laws at least, at very least. Because as Warren Buffett said, all he did was went to bed one night and woke up with an extra double-digit millions of dollars coming in, and he gives all his money away. So uh, Donald Trump did something awful for the United States. He somehow thinks the rich are going to take care of the rest of us. No, they don't. No, they don't. The poor and the working class take care of the poor and the working class. No one else. Or or very few others. I don't want to misstate. I'm sure there's some generous rich people. Uh, So definitely we would benefit by uh, reinforcing and restructuring the tax base. Enforcing and and restructuring. No, we would benefit. I just wanted to, that was it, Brother Africa, that it's uh, enforcement and uh, restructuring and reinstating um, the tax laws that existed prior to 2016 and something much more radical than that. So we need to pass new tax laws that would tax the corporations and the rich and the war machine. And the Brother Moses. And Brother Moses, do you know of any politicians or do you think there is any is any politician that will advocate taxing taxing the rich if they want to win an election? Your thoughts, Brother Moses. I think it would be a popular um, position um, if one would dare to struggle and dare to win. Um, um, it takes education, of course, and, you know, the left would support it, um, although they don't vote. Um, but um, um, it would, it would, it is possible. Um, it's unlikely at the moment uh, um, 
Trump is digging in, and and his his influence is 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 is, is amazing. I mean, we have a people the left sound more like Trump than Trump on on their position, and uh, so that's that's the role of propaganda. Uh, um, the taxing the rich would take a great deal of uh, of uh, education. Because we have people who are greater defenders of the bourgeoisie than the bourgeoisie itself. You know, Bernie Sanders talks about talks about taxing. I think uh, uh, definitely uh, uh, it appeals to the left, and uh, I just think you know people have to dare to struggle, dare to win. It takes an educational process and an organization. It takes organization, and uh, it's a lot easier said than done. But I think it's a popular idea. I personally think I, I, it appeals to me. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. We can go to our special guest today, Brother Kibline. Any thoughts on some of the things you just recently heard for the, heard tonight, Brother Kibline? Well, I haven't thought much much about it, but when the sister said restructure, right, um, putting the rich to the side and just think about um, my situation is that I got a house, and because I got a house, I get certain breaks. And you have people in, in very uh, in the projects and what they call projects in, in very poor areas. Maybe I shouldn't use the word project, but very poor areas who may never get a house, and because of that, they don't get the same breaks. So maybe we should do some restructuring. Maybe if you volunteer in the community or something like that, you get a break. You get some tax break for that. So. Um, I, I can look at the rich all day long, but then I do realize the fact that that um, I do have a house, and because I have a house, I get a little shelter, you know, a little, little break because of that. And some people may never be in a position to get a house. So I think some reconstruction should be done right. Maybe there are ways they can do things that they could do that um, will give them tax breaks and things like that. But, uh, but I haven't read the article, and I haven't... Um, thought about it much, but I just extrapolating from what the sisters and the brothers have said, and um, I think they all make good points. Thank you, my brother. At this point in time, you're listening to Africa on the Moon. We're in the seat. We're going to take the heat and define it. They're going to stand behind it. We're going to wind down to our closing remarks when we come back. Our theme tonight is Part three, feed the wall machine by any means necessary. So when we come back, we have each one of our panelists and guests to give us their final thoughts for the night. This is Brother Africa, and we are Africa on the move. Don't you go nowhere.
trying to figure out and we're going to do this through collective discussion and through organization you know organization is a weapon for the press and through organization we're prop with the proper information there are not anything that we cannot do or overcome so what we're going to do tonight right now and close out 
with, with our final series on part three, feed the war machine, right? And it means necessary. We're going to go to our political analysts and special guests and get their final thoughts forward tonight. And we would like to remind you that Africa on the Move is a weekly program comes on every Sunday evening from 7 p.m. Eastern Time, U.S. It's a community project under the banner of the African Awareness Association. We'd like to encourage you to come with us and African Awareness Association as they plan their annual educational and culture tour, historical culture tour to Cuba which has been rescheduled for July 23rd to 31st. So for more information, please contact them by email at African Awareness Association 2 at gmail.com. And we also will not be uh, remiss to mention to you that we have been an eye supporter of the Indigenous People Day, which took place on the 11th this month, and it is also an Indigenous People Day month. So any event that's still going on in honor of indigenous people, please support it. Because after all, if we didn't have this confusion going on and this oppression of taking people's land, their freedom and liberties, you know, there will be no need for Indigenous People Day. So it's a day of resistance, a day for liberation, so support it. So in closing out today, we will take our panelists and analysts and have them give us their final thoughts on the 17th October 2021. You first will go to Brother Moses, and Brother Moses, your final thoughts for the night. Brother Moses. Thank you, thank you. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there is one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. We don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. And uh, I like to say women hold up half the sky, I'm ERA, yes. And so the bottom line is you better stand for something or you'll fall for anything. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Next, we'll go to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, your final thoughts for tonight. Well, Brother Africa, thank you so much. And I just wanted to say that, uh, um, follow up with that first article on the CIA that uh, uh, was so great, but uh, they talked about Henry Heschler. And uh, Henry Heschler not only made sure Salvador Allende was killed, but he selected a fascist to put in office, Pinochet, and the world, everyone from even our youth today know his terror. And I'm sorry I didn't have the article present, Brother Africa, to list those nine points, but I thank you all because you first lobby the public, you create economic chaos, and lastly, you assassinate and then you deny. And then also in terms of the article concerning the ROC or the, that, that group, the brother mentioned the head of a CIA becoming president of this country. Well, he came up with the no child left behind. So coupled with putting the uh, increasing 
funding for this junior ROCP throughout the nation in poor neighbor in poor urban areas in places like Texas and backwards places and paying retired military salary and creating textbooks so they appear to be legitimate and distributing them on campuses throughout the United States and making sure none of the ivories have any ROTC. Now, you don't see one up at Yale. You don't see them over there at uh, Vanderbilt. You don't see them at Harvard. So it's, it's a real... It's a real class struggle, and I'm sorry if I didn't bring in and connect the ROTC with the George Bush No Child Left Behind Act, which is a type of system that tracks, and you, can, you guys can look into that. So I just want to say it's been a great show. Um, I appreciate the comments from the analysts. Uh, it uh, brings so much insight to my thoughts. And, again, if we are united as a people, and I want the brother who thought that when I'm talking about taxation, people, working class people get confused, Brother Africa, and they think because they own a business with a 1,000 employees that they're the same as the big corporate imperialist beast. No, they're not. Uh, Somebody who owns 10 houses and has 10 tenants thinks they're like the landlord that owns 20,000. In one state and 100,000 in the nation, they're not the same. You know, they may be fish, but remember, the only thing fish feed on is other fish. So it's not a matter of taking away the rights of the working class. It's a matter of placing tax responsibility on the imperialist class, on the 1%, on the 20%, and owning a house is a blessing and a great thing is the source of all wealth in the United States for working class people. But I wasn't talking about taxing the working class. I'm talking about taxing the top 20%, Brother Africa. So I just want to thank you so much for another wonderful show. Thank all your analysts and say that it was a a wonderful experience, and I hope everyone has a blessed week. And remember, if we can educate our children, if we make housing, education, water, food, proper nutrition a basic human right, we can go forward. And as Brother Anthony said, the least you can do is vote. Just remember that millions of Americans don't vote. And the only thing that happened in 2020 that doesn't normally happen is that millions of people who usually don't vote did vote. So make sure everyone in Virginia votes for McCullen. We did it in California. They put a black guy up and thought that this fascist was going to sway the people. He didn't. Newsom stayed in. The electorate's voice must be heard. I can't vote you in and some guys come along that don't like you and put you out. Heck no. If they want to do a recall, try it, because that has to go before the electorate also. So thank you so much, everyone, for such a wonderful and informative evening, and have a blessed week. And I look forward to joining you next week, and thank you. Brother Anthony, our guest, Brother Akeem, Brother Africa, 
Brother Moses. Thank you all so much. You all are. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Eleanor, for your contribution to today's show. We must make a, 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 a statement that on Africa on the Move, we don't get do endorsements, but we will say that if you're going to play the game, we want you to not to get played while getting paid. So right now, let's move on to our special guest today and get his final thoughts. Brother Keeblon, your final thoughts, please. Yeah, I want to say, uh, contrary to um, popular um, belief, the founding fathers of this country did not want for democracy because they were a minority, and the majority were overthrowing the minority. We on this program wouldn't want for democracy because 80% of the people are vaccinated, then our voice wouldn't be heard. And a lot of the majority of people don't even, wouldn't, wouldn't even tune to, to this program. So I understood the founding fathers when they said they didn't want democracy for a republic. Well, it looked like the majority had uh, 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 power. They were fixated representatives. That press would represent them. I don't have a problem with that. The problem I have is the representatives never came from the grassroots because they weren't looking at the minority in, majority interest. They were looking at their interests. And since they were in the minority, they made sure that they let the minor, majority vote but make sure when they vote, the pool that they draw from will come from amongst them. My thing is, the pool you draw from should come amongst us, the sister on the program. I forgot her name. just spoke just now. Or the brothers on the program. Why can't we draw from that pool? But it was designed that way. It was designed that way. So we need to, uh, this, this Republican Democrat, and we said, we talk about politics, we think about one form of politics, the government of politics. But you look at what you're supposed to get from politics, power how power is derived, and, and vote is just one means, but that's not the only means. Republican Democrats are running a monopoly. you got the Democrats who can get the, the poor who, the, who are larger numbers but smaller capital. Republicans can get the wealthy who are smaller numbers but larger in capital. You put them together, you call them Republicans. So you really you have this one capitalist system run by the Republicans and Democrats. We need to break that up. We need to break that up. And if you want to have a vote, make sure the pool you're drawing from comes amongst the grassroots people. But they got designed so that a Hakeem would not participate. They got designed so that an independent candidate would not be on the same platform with Republicans and Democrats um, debating certain issues that that. that really is to the heart of the grassroots people. So we had to look at this whole system, the way things are run. And that's all I want to have for today. But I enjoyed all the speakers today. I learned a lot, and I hope I made some contribution. And, Brother Kiblan, we thank you for your contribution to today's program as well. Next we will go to Brother Haki. You'll find thoughts for the night, Brother Haki. Well, Brother Africa, you know, I certainly hope uh, people get a sense. When we talk about this stuff, we, we're we implying how perilous the situation is. And the reality is that, you know, as much as we would like for things to change, history just doesn't work that way. But in event, there was a very interesting uh, article. Uh, there was a woman by the name of Crystal Clay, uh, Clanton. 
she just graduated from George Mason University, and uh, she's scheduled to get a job as a law clerk. Now, what is interesting about this particular woman, Ms. Ms. Clanton, that she was also part of Turning Point USA. For anyone who don't know, Turning Point USA is a very conservative uh, student movement in the U.S. Uh, they also they espouse you know, very conservative, uh, some would argue very racist-oriented uh, kinds of uh, views uh, to students. Of course, students, for the most part, are ill-equipped to actually be able to deal with a lot of these issues that they raise, and so uh, they, uh, as a consequence, uh, they get a lot of notoriety. But what is interesting, though, that one of their leaders went to uh, to UK to be interviewed, and uh, he was interviewed by a UK journalist by the name of Andrew Neal. Andrew Neal um, destroyed him. I mean, he, did, he destroyed him. I mean, the point, the question was so pointed, uh, so sharp. Uh, that this guy had to get up and he left the stage, literally. He left the interview uh, because he couldn't deal with, because Andrew Neal was dealing with the hypocrisy in terms of the position that uh, Turning Point USA advocates. Uh, so it was very, very interesting, you know, that when they, when, they, when they come up to real scrutiny, you know, they can't, they can't deal with that. Uh, also, now, back to this woman, uh, Crystal Clanton. She's got a, she achieved a job as a law clerk for the 11th, 11th Circuit. The 11th Circuit represents uh, Alabama. Now, when you talk about conservatism, Alabama is, 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 doesn't take a backseat to anybody in terms of conservatism. I mean, they have a long history in terms of conservatism. She was appointed to that position by Judge William Pryor. Now, you've got to ask yourself, this woman as a law clerk in a position to actually write laws, uh, what would that mean for the uh, interest of working people, poor people, or African people or people of color in society. Clearly, it doesn't bode well for the aspirations of people of color in society. But clearly, we had to understand that when we talk about organization and we talk about funding, conservatives uh, do a very good job in terms of funding their own. And because they do a good job of funding their own, their views are front and center. So we, as progressive people, have to figure out some kind of way in terms of elevating their voices uh, those individuals who proclaim to be liberal or progressive or uh, who have some bank have to decide, you know, um, it is in their interest to fund left, you know, uh, left-leaning you know, uh, voices in terms of countering this, this right-wing narrative that's consistently uh, dominate uh, society. Uh, but having said that, Brother Africa, you know, as always, you know, I encourage people, you know, to, to unravel the matrix because uh, that is key, because if we don't unravel the matrix, then who knows what's going to happen in the future. Having said that, Brother Africa, you have a good night. And you do the same, Brother Haki. Next, Brother Anthony, your final thoughts for tonight. My final thought for tonight is uh, that uh, the imperialists will continue to to feed the war machine by any, any means necessary because they want to defeat uh, the working class of the world from trying to build socialist societies. That is at root why, uh, you know, uh, the CIA foments so many uh, assassinations and destabilization efforts around the world. And the only 
way we can counter that is through permanent organization. And uh, Pan-Africanism, our objective, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism is our is the Africans' contribution to that uh, to that effort, and uh, you can find out more about uh, our objective Pan Africanism, and also our position on Indigenous Peoples Day by visiting our website www.a-aprp-gc.org. Thank you for having me tonight. And we thank you, Brother Anthony, for your contribution to today's program, Part 3, Feeding the War Machine, by Any Means Necessary. We'd like to leave you with a thought that came from our Angelo when she stated, do, do the best you can until you know better that when you know better, you'll do better. That's something to think about, and we'll be looking forward to seeing you next Sunday, same time, same station. And like always, this is Mother Africa from Africa on the Moon. Spread the word. We'll see you next week, 7 p.m. Eastern time. Let's hear some words from one of our forefathers, Walter Ratney. A negative attitude towards Africa. In San Francisco, on African Liberation Day, Brother Walter Rodney, an African historian, noted both the importance of African Liberation Day in terms of our African identity and some of the root causes for our problem of identification. I have met brothers and sisters who say that their mother tongue, quote-unquote, is French, Spanish, Dutch, Portuguese, as well as English, which we speak. And because of this, we have a problem of identification. We do not know whom we are. And that is why this gathering is of great symbolic importance, because it is an act of identification. We are saying that we identify with the African people of the African continent. We are saying that we are an African people. When we make this identification, have no illusions about the fact that this is a very revolutionary initiative. It is a rejection of every other form of identification which the white society has asked us to accept. Let me draw your attention to something which white universities and white libraries practice. And this is a university community. Numerous universities lie around this land. Go into their libraries and check the Library of Congress cards. Under Europe or European, you will find all entries listed concerning the continent of Europe. You will also find entries listed about Europeans in East Africa, Europeans in North Africa, Europeans in Asia and Australia. Look under the Chinese you will find entries listed not only for mainland China, but for Malaysia and for the Chinese in, in, the, in North America. But look on the Africa and the Africans, 
The only entries on the Africans relate to the continent itself. There are no entries on the Africans overseas. There is no such category. Africans who have been raped from the continent mysteriously disappear and become Negroes. You're one black man who went to a good, essentially white high school in the city of New York. That's you right. obviously had had a good education. That's a good many of the people who work with you here in SNCC can say the same thing. And we're saying that... And you're a black man who came from a New York ghetto. And we're saying that there's a system that allows for one or two black people to get out. And that that's the rationale for keeping other black people down. And it has nothing to do with the unwillingness or inability of the Negro to help himself and to work hard. That's the rationale, that the reason why black people aren't this is because they're lazy, unambitious, stupid, have rhythm, and they eat watermelon. You call on the black man to refuse to respond to his draft call. That's correct. And we will continue to do so while there's breath in our bodies. Do you really believe that the military policies of the United States are designed to exterminate the black man, as you've said? I most certainly do. I look at the recent statement by Racist McNamara, who says that 30% of the people that are going to be drafted now under his new system are going to be black people. And that's nothing more than black urban removal. The white liberal who supported civil rights for so long with time and effort and money, what is your feeling about him? Well, I think that there's no reason why they should stop supporting the movement now. I certainly feel that if they're genuinely interested in black people, and since black people have charted a course, they believe in that program, they will continue to give to it. They need more white people to civilize whites. They need them to civilize the savages in Cicero who throw rocks and bricks at a peaceful and lovable black man like Dr. Martin Luther King, who would not even hurt a fly. But that's very important, because our uncles and our fathers and our older brothers died in World War I fighting Nazism to protect the Poles, and those same Poles turn around and throw rocks and bricks at us after we died to save their lives. And people talk about we are savages. Mr. Carmichael, if you had the chance to stand up in front of the white community and say anything you desired, say to them, understand me, white man, what would you say? I would say, understand yourself, white man, that the white man's burden should not have been preached in Africa, but it should have been preached among you that you need now to civilize yourself. You have moved to destroy and disrupt. You have taken people away. You have broken down their systems. And you have called all that civilization. And we who have suffered at this are now saying to you, you are the killers of the dreams. You are the savages. Yes, it is you who have always been un civilized. Civilize yourself.
listen to me. If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries. Their freedom almost gone. Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love. Needs our love. There seems to be no answer. 
to give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth, take a stand for justice. That's what we've got to do, because Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. Welcome to Pilgrim And to the Buffaloes Who once ruled a plane Like the vultures Circling beneath the dark clouds Looking for the rain Looking for the rain Just like the city that stagger on the coastline And a nation that just can't stand much more Like the forest buried beneath the highway Never had a chance to grow Never had a chance to grow And now it's winter Winter in America Yes, and all of the healers Have been killed Sent away Yeah, but the people know The people know it's winter in America And ain't nobody fighting Cause nobody knows what to say Save your soul Lord knows from winter in America The Constitution A noble piece of paper with free society The struggle but they died in vain And now democracy Is a ragtime on the corner Hoping for some rain It's looking like he's a hoping Hoping for some rain And I see the robbers First in barren treetops Watching last is races marching across the floor But just like the peace behind that vanished in our dreams Never had a chance to grow Never had a chance to grow And now 
So don't care where you come from As long as you're a black man You're an African No mind your nationality Have got the identity of an African Cause if you come from Trinidad And if you come from Come from as long as you're a black man, you're an African. <laughs> 